I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Permissions. Oh, first, Callahan. Um, <clears throat> yes, sir. Do a uh, act like I all of a sudden died. Okay, like I'm just like I all of a sudden fall over dead. And here we are. Um, and you realize you need to pick up the show. Okay. Like you're in the driver's seat, right? And you know that the first thing that needs to happen is you need to do a thing where, uh, where you where you insult the listener, and and tell them that they need to go and do the subscribe. You know, make sure they're subscribed to the podcast, not just downloading individual episodes, and then and then maybe insult them a little more, and then tell them how they need to also give it a good rating. Um. All right. So, so here I am. I'm just like, ugh, dead. Oh, my God, Ryan. Steve's down. All right. Listen up, folks. As you know, we've recently lost Steve. <laughs> but let's be honest. He probably pissed off half of you anyway. So what I'm going to need you to do is go on to iTunes, subscribe, hit the furthest right star so we can keep this ball a rolling. That's good. Mark, you try it. That was very good. I don't think I can... I don't think I can speak to that at all. <laughs> Mark, you can't do any better than that. No, and I'm a podcaster myself, and I feel like I got showed up. Yeah, that was good. That makes me feel good. Before I did it where I was going to die, and Yanni had to take over and just did not do, like, he just, I think because it wasn't convincing. Like, I didn't really seem dead enough to him. But I thought he had a very authentic little chime in there when he said, oh, my gosh, Steve's yeah, no, down. That was, good. That, that was good acting. That was good contribution. Well, that's, that was like the dish to Ryan that really set him up. Uh-huh. It did. 
Yeah. It made him feel like hey, we were uh, there. I was kind of thinking still, about the halibut rods and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Sweet. Please. Uh, Mark Canyon, got a quick question for you from a dude that wrote in named Danny. All right. Not my brother. Not my brother Danny. I've been saving this one for you because this is like right up in your, this is in your little whitetail deer world. Ready? Ready. Then we'll get into permissions. You know, I can't believe you never listened to that song. I know, and I really, I, I promised myself, I was like, I'm going to listen to that before I go out there again. And yeah, well, I'm singing permissions to the tune of traditions. Right, traditions. Fiddler on the roof. Yeah. You know, we were just talking about over lunch is, um, Yanni, we were talking about hubris and Greek tragedy. Yes. Yeah, hubris is uh, excessive pride. And in Greek tragedy, that's, it's usually like what gets you in trouble is excessive pride. It happens in animated cartoons, too. <laughs> like Hercules? Yeah. Something like that, maybe. So, but, you know, I think about that. Like, I remember learning that, 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 in, that hubris is like the trouble of Greek tragedy. But then I think of the one, Ed, like Oedipus. Oedipus doesn't know that he, he's like, it's, the story begins where he's adopted, but doesn't know he's adopted. And he goes to like a seer. Like a, like a basically a fortune teller. And the fortune teller says like, oh, I see your future bright and clear. You're going to murder your dad and have sex with your ma. But he doesn't know he's adopted. Yeah. So he splits town. Purposely to avoid that, right? To avoid his fate. I remember he that, yeah. runs away and stumbles into a new town mm-hmm. where he kills a feller and has sex with a lady. And guess who they were? <laughs> yep his mom pa but i just don't see i gotta go like re-look at that and find out where that fits in with the hubris because that just seems like bad luck yeah i didn't know that that the overconfidence bit was every greek tragedy uh, i remember sharon whitehill when i was in college i took a class on greek tragedy with <laughs> professor sharon whitehill whose husband was a beekeeper and i did a little uh day laboring for him moving the bees around so mark here's your question is this, is this related to no, not at all. Greek tragedies? No. Okay. Danny says, I was just thinking about our conversation at lunch, and I keep running around in my head like the only Greek tragedy I remember <laughs> doesn't seem to have a hubris element, but that's where in that same story about Oedipus, the Oedipal complex, yep. right? That yep. You want to have, you want to make love to your ma. Um, in that same story is where he comes to that city, and the thing, the monster tells a riddle. What walks on four legs in the morning two legs during the day and three legs in the evening. And if you don't get it, like it kills you, <laughs> but he gets it. It's man that you crawl in the morning of your life. And then you walk on two legs. And then in the end, you use a cane. I like it. And that's how he gets into the town to, to, you know, do the unmentionable, the unspeakable. All right. This guy says, hey, I've been bow hunting for whitetails over the last month on public land in Texas. You following? Follow. In the Sam Houston National Forest. You know where Sam Houston was killed, Mark? Oh, man. No. Come on. The Elmo? Elmo? Yeah, oh, so that was my best guess. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's like a school of thought that Davy Crockett didn't actually, that Davy Crockett surrendered. There's a theory based on some like uh, personal accounts that came out of the Mexican army, that Davy Crockett 
didn't fall at the Alamo heroically, that he surrendered and was executed. I read some stuff. I think it was The Lions of the West was a book I read oh, by the Robert Morgan, I think, wrote oh, that. Oh, yeah. And I think they talked a little bit about how some of the mythology around Crockett isn't quite everything that it was uh, chalked up to be. Yeah, it's a real shame that people think of Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone not the same kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, reason I bring that up, he's hunting the same Houston National Forest, public lands for whitetails, and he says, I've been sitting in a tree stand under a few oak trees where I see plenty of sign but no actual animals. The last day I went out, I started to wander around a bit, figuring if they won't come to me, I'll go to them. You picturing it so far? I'm picturing it. The brush jumped, country, Texas, somewhere like that. I jumped a few does but never got a good look for a shot. On my way back to the truck, I, tur- the, I took the dirt road as the understory of the forest can be thick. That's when I see the most deer, and it's them crossing the road, noticing me, and then bounding right back into the thick stuff, never to be seen again. Any suggestions on how I can get in front of these animals? I want to continue to hunt with a bow right through gun season, which starts November 4. Well, we're a little late. <laughs> well, I know, but I've been saving it to talk to you about it. Yeah. My feeling is he should not be, he needs to stay up in a tree. So it's, yeah, does he walk around or does he stay in a tree? If he's just hunting with a bow, yeah, it, it's pretty tough in a situation like that to stock up on one in flat country in the thick area like that. I mean, it's Very one. Very difficult. Yeah, it's one, it's one thing if you're up in, you know, some badlands type habitat or like, I don't know, eastern Montana where there's some rolling grassy hills and you can get up on one top, look over the edge and make a sneak on one, but. It's really hard to do in even like the Midwest in the flat areas, let alone as thick and nasty as I, as I imagine a lot of Texas could be, at least from the things I've seen. But There's definitely guys that do it, but I feel like it's yeah. inefficient, and you're doing it more just because you want to like go through the exercise of still hunting and you know possibly catch you know crossing paths with that deer at ten. Like you're doing it as a as a thing, like a goal you set out for yourself just to do that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, but no, I, but not I think. At all. I think but that's not what he's getting at. No, yeah, he's just trying to kill a deer. What I might say, though, is, did he say he's been hunting a month already? month straight? Let me check. Let me check. Um, well, let, let's just assume he said he's been hunting for a month. Over the last month. Okay, he's hunting over the last month. He sees him on the road. And so it sounds like maybe he's um, relatively novice. We'll just oh, make yeah, that assumption. Sure. Um, if that's the case, I feel like a lot of people, newer hunters, newer whitetail hunters, they find a spot that looks good, like an oak tree, and they're like, all right, this is what I've heard is good. This is where I should be. And they hunt it today and then tomorrow and they hunt it the next day and they hunt it over and over and over and over again. And I think a lot of newcomers end up trying that and then not seeing many deer. Maybe the first day they saw five does or something like, all right, this is it. Great. And the next day they say three. And a week later they say two. And um, so my first recommendation, knowing very little about the situation, um, I would say, okay, let's assume maybe he's been hunting this one oak tree many, many, many times. I would say first tip right off the bat is switch it up. Hunt totally different places than where you have been Because they got you pegged. Simply because of that. You got you to gotta make sure that you are not educating the deer. He has, most likely. Try new areas simply because you can catch them off guard. Um, that's a good starting point. If you can find other oak trees away from where he's been, that might be another place to start. Or water other things that might draw on those deer. But we don't know a whole lot about the situation. No, we'd have to go down there and check it out. Want to? I would like to. 
bedding area too. I think he should maybe walk around and look for that. I feel like in Texas it's so. I've never hunted in Texas, so I don't know. But from guys I've talked to down there, it's just very, very different than a lot of the very defined habitat types like I encounter where I hunt in the Midwest or even in some places in the <clears throat> the Rocky Mountain West where I've whitetail hunted where you can easily determine, okay, this is a bedding area, this is a feeding area, this is likely where they move through. In some of these kind of brushy Texas areas, and I know there's very diverse habitat types in Texas, so this might not be what he's dealing with at all. Um, but in a lot of these, it's just a a brushy, thorny, dry jungle that's, you know, a homogenous habitat type that's really tough to figure out where those focus points are. Yeah, which is why guys hunting that country on private land are all, they're all running bait. Uh, you know, it another gives thing. gives you something to, it gives you some point to focus on. Yeah. Another thing that a lot of guys do in Texas more so than, more so than where I hunt at least, is rattling. Now, it might be different in public land if it's really heavily hunted down there. I don't know what it's like there. But if it's not too bad, rattling seems to work at a disproportionately high rate in Texas, like yeah. off the charts compared to anywhere else. Our buddy in South Carolina, Robert Abernathy, they have fantastic luck rattling up bucks in the swamps in South Carolina. Callahan may or may not have rattled up a mule deer this year. That's true. I think indicators would be that... Yes, like there's too many odd, like the deer shouldn't have done what he did. So I feel like the the rattling is what ultimately led to his demise. But you definitely don't hear about rattling mule deer. You don't. For people that don't know what we're talking about, uh, rattling rattling is when you take a pair of antlers or something that sounds like antlers and and make the simulate the noise of two bucks sparring or fighting, and other bucks will just and they're they're interested in you know herd dynamics and who's doing what and who's big man around town they'll come running up out of curiosity right mark more than an itch to join the fight i think it depends on the deer sometimes you'll see a lot of the younger bucks that come running in it's curiosity but then you do get those at least on the whitetail side of things you get these big mature bucks if you have one in the area that will come in looking at kicks mass really like he comes in like mm-hmm. in in and not just trying to look from way off. Yeah, like fired up to the tree. It's crazy how sometimes these deer can pinpoint and literally be right underneath your tree, looking around. Where's he at? I'm ready. Yeah. And that's why, I, like, I feel like that the deer that I saw that morning, they were moving hard to make it in the picture, but let's just say right to left down this ridge. Um, I'm on a spur ridge that down low where I can see this this ridge, and. Um, you know, rattled for probably 20 minutes, um, you know, short sequences and, and moved 10 yards straight up my spur ridge. And here's this set of legs on my ridge pointing downward straight to me. And I can see through the brush that, you know, here's this old faced, uh, heavy horned deer of some unknown size, just, staring my direction i was like oh maybe i shouldn't have moved and you wound up blouching him though i did he actually so he ultimately did take off and follow the direction of the deer that i'd seen earlier in the day and and uh i moved to get a better vantage point of that area and dug the uh 
funny part about this to me anyway is they're Giannis's uh, <laughs> pack, uh, uh, pack, packerack rattling. Oh, yeah. oh when setup. I told him this story, the first thing he said was, "I wonder if that's my packerack." <laughs> It is, in fact, Giannis's oh, and pack. Rack. When you guys were arguing about this, I thought you were arguing about a pack raft. No, pack rack. Oh, I thought, you had his, I thought you had his pack raft. Nope, sorry, pack which rack. Which is an eight hundred dollar contraption, which made me wonder why he was being so like, like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, laissez faire about it. Oh, <laughs> pack rack. Yeah. Uh, so Doug Giannis's uh, this, pack rack. Man, my out. whole morning is making so much more sense now, man. <laughs> and I mean. Had my rifle set up on my bag, cracked that thing like one, two, three, and looked up, and he had marched seven yards out of the timber for no reason. I mean, he was free and easy. So, um, and bounce, and boom, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and we've had some some kind of similar scenarios where it. it, it we don't know definitively with, with the muleys, but all signs point to yes. They definitely fight all the time. Mm-hmm. Why would that not be interesting to them? Yeah. But the thing is, you could be like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to go see if rattling whitetails works if you don't know what you're doing. And you just went up and sat in a tree. You could sit up a tree 30 times clacking antlers together, and nothing's going to show up, and you'd be like, it doesn't work. So it might just be that people don't do it with those because it hasn't been done. Now, Yanni, have you ever... I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but have you ever heard of someone like clacking elk antlers together, like mm-hmm. rattling for elk? Because people thrash brush for elk. Sure, I've heard. I've heard it. I've heard people doing it by accident because they found like a set of sheds, and then like a bull comes screaming by, so they obviously rattled him in. But I've never heard of someone packing. Elk antlers. Yeah, it'd just be just too a heavy load. Yeah, but you don't much. need it. Just pack the little pack the pack rack. Yeah, you, a pack rack looks like a um. A but a disc. pack rack's not going to sound like two six point bulls going at it. You ever heard that in the woods, man? Yeah, it's I not mean, as like <laughs> it's not as loud. different cadence and deep. Yeah, and then the hoof sounds that you hear with it and just the thrashing. I, I mean, I don't even know if one man alone, you'd be lathered in a sweat if you were actually trying to, like, replicate that sound. Like, it might just be impossible. To make it. I would like to let everybody know that Giannis can expect a nice little Christmas present with little <laughs> juice in there because I've had the pack rack for so long. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully before Christmas. Yeah, because we're going to Mexico. In January for coos deer, I'd like to have it with me there. Oh, yeah. right. I've had you luck. are not getting right. yours back. You guys I'm pick, keeping you those. You guys pick this up later. <laughs> uh, um, you know, real quick, I do not wonder if maybe the story of Oedipus isn't Greek tragedy. <laughs> well, I just don't think you, the assumption is hubris is everything. Wouldn't, like the no, Icarus like maybe would doesn't, be. Maybe the, 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 that story doesn't count as Greek tragedy. Maybe it's just mythology and not Greek tragedy. But the point is, um, I think that the biggest I think the biggest hurdle people have when they want to the, the biggest hurdle that people who are wanting to get into hunting or who've been introduced to hunting and want to continue to do it the biggest hurdle they have is a spot to hunt. Absolutely, people are like, "Oh, kids these days, they just want to play video games." It's like, like, yeah, a lot of them do, 
but I think that the people who the people that I have met who've been introduced to hunting later when you go like, hey man, what's up? You've been getting out? Their thing is usually like, no, I still have a place to go. Right? People that don't live yeah. in places where you have a ton of access to public land, it's a pain in the ass to get permissions. It's the number one threat to new hunter recruitment. Yes. And and fishermen. And the world's changed. Um the advent of pay to play on private land has really changed things where a lot of people that used to just let guys come hunt now want to charge money to come hunt. A dear, dear friend of mine recently went to that model. Um, so for, for some of the year, I'll point out, he'll be mad that I brought that up. For some of the year, he went to that model. That has restricted use. I think that there's a thing where we live in, I don't know if we live in a more litigious society, but there's at least the perception that we do. And so there's a reluctance on the part of landowners to allow people to come on their land because they feel like they're going to get sued when the guy twists his ankle. Um, that's a thing that has changed. What else has changed, Mark? I mean, if you look at the bare bone, it's just a supply and demand issue, right? To your point, it's harder and harder to find places to hunt. And now landowners, to what you just said there, they're finding that... Um, there is value to their land that they may not be using otherwise. So we're, we're seeing some people that in the past just let guys go hunt, whatever. And all of a sudden they find out, oh, Bob down the street got five grand a year to let so-and-so hunt their place. So, yeah. so you do have that pay-to-play model increasing. And then another thing going on is that I think, I think it's fair to say that the level of intensity maybe or fervor that the hunt that some segment of the hunting population has now has increased pretty substantially over the last decade or two that most serious if we're talking whitetails those most serious whitetail guys so they're investing in things related to hunting a huge part of that is land ownership so i saw that since 1991 2011 private land ownership for hunting has gone up 75 percent so more and more people want to own land so that just then for the purpose of hunting. for the purpose of hunting so then that leaves all the wow. other people that don't own land, well, then now they've lost even more potential places where they could go. Um, urban sprawl, uh, yeah, changing um, thoughts on hunting. So areas where the population used to be fine with guys hunting behind their house, maybe these people just don't want anyone out there with a gun or they're not okay with hunting. So that kind of thing's happening in some urban areas. So there's a lot of different pressures, I think, that are just making it tougher for the average guy or gal to get a spot to go, especially if they're not out west. Um, Midwest and the East, I think it's something 90% in private land ownership. So there's just not a whole lot of public land or places to go these days. And it might, I realize it might even be like a matter of perception too. There just seems like it's different now when it's actually not. And it might just be that people who, I would kind of bet this, that the people who it's important to and really work at it and are smart about it, still can go out and have the same level of success in getting permissions of places to hunt on private land. They can still have the same success that everyone had before. Uh-huh. But it might just be that when you're getting into it and you don't realize how much work it is, it seems like more daunting or less realistic than it is. Well, I think it's, I think it's the, the work aspect. I think it's harder work 
to be able to get that access in those places. I think it can still be done. The people that take it seriously and are, are willing to put in the work, absolutely. They can have lots of places. But for the average person who's either just getting started or who's kind of lukewarm on it, who wants to hunt, but they don't really want to devote a whole lot of their time in a given year to finding places, that's the segment I think that suffers a lot. Well, in working for permissions, the uh, good friend of mine, he is, I mean, he's, changing irrigation pipe he's you know neighbor calls he's like hey we got to move cattle we you know we're building new fence and he's you know almost 60 and retired but it's his full-time job like maintaining his bird hunting permissions and his trespassing access and things like that but he's not necessarily paying for it he's putting in sweat equity right i was trying to get i wanted to have jimmy dorn um of Belltown Pizza down here. And he said he can't because he's traveling right now. And I was saying to Yana, I was like, oh, it's a bummy Jim, bummer Jimmy Dorn can't come. But he's not really going to have that much to add anyways because he hunts a buddy's place who hangs out at his bar and he hunts a guy's place who he harvests wheat for. And Yanni's like, yeah, exactly. Meaning that's permissions. I feel it's sort of like in large measure, it comes down to working your connections. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, you were more surprised than, to... More than cold rolling. Because, like, when I... I, I want to lay out, so, like, when I was a kid, out the, the permissions that we had. We did... We hunted on... We had a lot of public land around us, but we also hunted on some private farms. And we hunted on private farms of farmers that went to church with my parents. Yeah. So there's, like, a very strong community connection where you see these people every week and they're in your social circle. But I had trapping, I maintained trapping permissions on about 20 to 25 farms in Muskegon County, Nuego County, Manistee County. Um, what's the county Big Rapids is in? Mm, I don't know. Macosta County. That's what it is. Sounds right. I had permission to the older place. And I would make, I would go on a plat book. This is pre like on X and whatnot. I'd go on a plat map and just find every place I wanted to have a permission on. And I'd write it down in a le- yellow legal pad. And my old man would just tirelessly work the phones. Calling, calling, calling until he could find a personal connection to those people through a mutual friend or somehow would develop an in. Because he felt your odds increase so greatly if you could find that connection. I know so-and-so. So my old man would like, oh, I know a guy up there, an insurance salesman up in Macosta. And he'd call him and be like, hey, you know, we're, my son's looking at these places he's trying to get on, right? He would work it, work it. And he would score, a, he had a very high success rate on scoring permissions. I remember at the same time, I went and ran an ad in a newspaper in Macosta County because I was just trapping beaver. And a lot of people hate beavers because beavers plug up your creeks and dams and ditches and whatnot. And so some people love them, some people hate them. I ran an ad in the Macosta newspaper saying free beaver control, free problem beaver removal. Never got a hit off that ad. But my old man would tear it up by trying to build personal connections. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. 
do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right in your truck bed. You still have a truck bed. You can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. And yeah, you think about when we were hunting sandhill cranes on the panhandle. How long would it take that dude to get a permission on land anywhere within a hundred miles? Depended. I don't think any of them were too, too fast, but it didn't take more than half a day. He would work it. He'd work it. Yeah. And he wasn't from there. He is, this is a grad student. This is like a grad student who moved to do his, a PhD program in the mm-hmm. Texas Panhandle. Where was he? He's from the Midwest or something. Boy, Nasty Panasty. 
Yeah. Yeah, he had his pitch dialed. You know, he had his in sort of just to get the conversation rolling. And then, you know, he explained everything. And Yeah, and he wasn't working family, but he was just sort of like had some in, like had good relationships with some farmers, was able to build on that and be like, oh, I hunt on so-and-so's mm-hmm. place. That's always a good end. You call him up, he'll give you the word. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to work extra hard when we were there because not only did he have to get permission, but when we're there filming, you got to also get the landowner to sign the uh, location release so that we can film there. Another thing that he thought was very effective is what school is he at? Texas A&M, right? What school is in Lubbock, Texas? Not Texas Tech? We look it up. Yeah. Oedipus is Greek mythology, <laughs> by the way. I looked that up for it's you. It's Greek mythology, not Greek trad. Does it count? Was it a play? Like, who's the famous playwright back then? Pericles? Anyhow, Nasty Panassi, Mike, went, was doing a PhD program at the local university, and the local university is an ag school, like a land-grant ag school, much like the ag school that you live not nearby, Mark. Where I went, yeah. Monta- Michigan State University. Yes, sir. And the people in the community respect the school because it's a lot, they have a strong ag program. So farmers know it. Relatives went there. And Mike knew this, knows this, and would come and say, "Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm from the Texas Tech. I'm from Texas Tech. I got all these connections. I feel like we're giving away Mike's secrets right now. Did he tell <laughs> us his own secrets? Well, the flip side of that is, growing up in Missoula, the surrounding areas. If somebody was like, "Hey, where are you from?" when you were knocking on doors, I never said Missoula. No, they're not gonna say yeah. No. It'd be like if you were from Madison and you went out and started banging on doors out in rural Wisconsin <laughs> thinking it's going to get you somewhere that you're from Madison. If you're doing that, though, I feel like you have to have some, some throwback to the air. So like when I'm trying to get permission out in Iowa or something, but I'm from Michigan, you encounter that same worry. Like as oh, soon so as, you, okay, please. So as soon as you knock on that door, you're, they're going to say, oh, well, where are you from? And you know, if I say I'm from Michigan, most likely you get one of two reactions. You get one where they get cold and they don't want the, the out-of-towners there. Or they get the curious, like, you came all the way from Michigan to hunt deer here? Really? I'm like, oh, yeah. And then you get a conversation going there. But what I would try to do for the people who you could sense, you know, weren't too into the out-of-towners, I would always say, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so are my friends. They hunt in the area. They live here. They, they, yeah, they hunt over on Bob and Jerry's down there. Um, so on and so forth. If you have any kind of throwback to touch into the community, I feel like that helps. And yes. then another one of my little things that's led to a lot of the permission I've gotten is that even when they're like, no, you know, we already have someone hunting or no, we don't want you to hunt, whatever it might be. I always try to end that conversation. I keep that conversation going as long as I possibly can. Cause you never know. I've had people change their mind after talking to you for a while. If you just end up talking about something random and then 15 minutes later, after they see your half decent person that ends up all of a sudden, well, you know, Larry doesn't hunt here that often. I guess you could come. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I'll always end the conversation. You know, is there anyone else you happen to know that I should, you know, maybe would be worth talking to in the area? And lots of times they'll him and haw, and then they'll say, well, I'll go talk to so-and-so down there. And then when you talk to so-and-so, you can say, hey, Bob from X Street told me to come down and stop by, and then you're in. And then you can just keep pointing back to the hey, last one. Bob the last is one. telling me he would never in a million years allow me access on his <laughs> land, but he thought that I should run down and talk to you. You don't <laughs> phrase it that way. <laughs> My old man had certain like uh, things that I, that I still stand by today. On, on When it just comes to banging on doors. 
So cold calling mm-hmm. is pick your time well. Mm-hmm. And the time to do it, I feel like we're not having this conversation with the proper amount of structure. I'm trying to find a way to impose structure on it. Oh, never mind. I do want to get around talking about the small game in. So we want to talk about the small game in. Let's focus for a minute on the do's and don'ts of cold rolling. Cold rolling being is not a dude from your mom and dad's church. You're just like, just completely a dude coming in with no kind of, I'm friends with Doug sorts of things, right? Uh, My old man, and these are things I learned from him that I know to be true, was very particular about the time that you do this. And you don't do it during a farmer's busiest seasons, which tend to not be during hunting season. You don't do it when they're sitting down to dinner. He felt the window between midday, he thought, was appropriate. And he thought that the window between dinner and like winding down, getting ready for bed, was a good time to approach someone about it. And he felt that you do not do it during hunting season because it's like they've been getting inundated with dudes banging on their door. Like picture this, like you're in an area and you're trying to hunt geese and you're, you got, there's a, some big grain fields and there's geese just plowing into the grain fields. Every guy out there is seeing this and he's going up to the house nearby and banging on the door to see if he can do it. The thing is that you want to approach this guy not when he's getting hit up all the time, but also not when it's so far away that it seems like he doesn't want to commit to something that far out. So like this window of time when you're kind of the first guy to show up, um, but you're talking about something in the foreseeable future that you'd like to be doing. Was he felt that was the time to be making these calls. And then as far as the in thing, you're not going to go up to a guy, probably not, going to go up and just be like, um, hey, man, can I come hunt big, giant, white-tailed bucks on your place? That's not going to be the in. You don't think so? I think a better in is, gee, mister, um, come February, would it be possible that I might come out and hunt squirrels? on your place because then he's not doing something that's going to be pissing off the cousin who comes out every year to hunt deer and you wiggle your way in. I had a permission one time from a guy where there was no way he had, Oh, there's no way, you know, not going to happen on deer and turkeys. I eventually got squirrel permission on his place and I would go hunt squirrels in the winter. And then I would text message him pictures of the squirrels that I cooked being like, thanks so much. Look at what we made with our squirrels, which just tickled him endlessly. Eventually, he's like, you know what? If you want to come out and hunt deer and turkeys, go ahead. Yeah. We do the same thing, but with shed hunting. Oh. Because that gets you in the door. Like, We'll do it in February, March. is like a great time to do this, I think, because... Because no one's banging on his door for four no months. No one's banging on his door. And you can say the same kind of thing. Hey, you know, lots of... Same thing. I'm in Iowa. We're in the area. We've been looking for shed antlers. 
we're curious. Maybe that might be okay behind. I, we noticed we've got a couple hundred acres or something. You drove from Michigan just to come out here and look for antlers? Look for antlers? Deer lose their antlers? <laughs> well, yeah. And then you get, a, get to tell them a little interesting story about biology. And then, um, and then yeah, lots of times. That seems harmless. It seems harmless. And a lot of farmers view shed antlers as a nuisance because they're popping tractor tires. Oh. So you can say, hey, you ever had a tractor tire popped? And then maybe you'll get lucky and I'll say, well, actually, that did happen. Yeah, they're like, well, I'm not, I gonna tell them that I'm not so much interested in finding shed antlers as I am in preventing tire pops. I've got a Let deal for you. you how I can uh, help you today. <laughs> yep. So, so if you get shed hunting permission, then you've got a great reason to come back, you know, so I uh, really appreciate it. An established rapport. Exactly. It, it, whether it's small game hunting or shed hunting or whatever it might be, it's an easy in. They feel more comfortable. Established rapport. And then, yeah, from there you can see where it goes. Um, plus, the nice thing about doing any one of those things is it allows you to walk that property. It gives you an excuse to better learn that property to decide if it really is you know, worth your time to try to deer hunt there or whatever it might be. Um, you know, If you're driving out from Michigan to Iowa, most places are worth hunting. But you want to make sure that if you're going to spend a ton of time and money that you have a spot that seems half decent. So. So, Mark, out of, out of your sort of portfolio of places you hunt, mm-hmm. what, um, how many permissions do you have that aren't like aren't like leases? Just like flat out, some dude out of an act of kindness lets you hunt his place. Um, <laughs> I probably have six or seven different spots that are just actually more than that, probably eight or nine, I guess that are across scattered states that I have permission to hunt, that it wasn't through a connection. It was just from knocking on doors or random, randomly meeting someone. I'm always thinking about permission. So if I meet someone while I'm out in Montana or Iowa or Ohio or somewhere, and I happen to think they might own land, I will, I will try to navigate the conversation there in any way possible. It makes you and, seem uh, so conniving. I don't, I don't mean like that way. You're like at a wedding reception. That, <laughs> this, uh, this farm you speak of. But yeah, if, if you hear about something like that, I'm not going to avoid that conversation. I'm get, getting in there. Oh, I got a this friend. This is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. And it's amazing how many times, not, not most of the time, but some of the time, I guess, you'll come to find out that maybe they don't have somebody hunting. Or maybe they do, but... Again, you never know who they might know, who they might know. And who, so, I mean, it's one of those things that you just have to always be thinking about it, always be working for it, because it's so easy to lose permission, first off. Um, so that's a big part of this conversation, I think, too. It's just as important as getting it is. You really need to learn how to keep it. Um, but there's a lot of things that happen that are out of your control. So Yeah, and you lose it for various reasons. Mm-hmm. You can lose it because you screw up, and then you deserve to lose it. Like not leaving gates the way you found them driving on wet fields because there could be things that that if you grew up if you if you've grown up around ag land and kind of grow up around working properties there's things you like know you don't do that someone who's not familiar with that world might do without realizing it's a real problem like you might notice that there's tire tracks skirting around the edge of an alfalfa field and be like oh i'm gonna drive there not really realizing that the only time you would ever do that is if it was just dry, dry, dry. And then you go out and leave a big couple ruts in the guy's field, you're going to lose your permission, likely. Or he gives you permission. 
here's, here's a story that happened to me one time. Me and my brother had turkey hunting permission on a place. And he had given me and my brother permission. And one day we had our other brother and a buddy of ours to go hunting. Now, we were not going to hunt without securing extra permissions for two more people. We go to the guy's house. He's not there. So our first stop was to go down his driveway, but he's not there. We then set off to go look for him. And we come across him, and this guy it never even gave us a chance to explain ourselves. Was out of his truck beating on our hood because the one thing he said was, I'm giving two of you permission. Never even got a chance, honestly, never got a chance to explain to him that we were coming out to find him to inquire about two other individuals. In his mind, it was the conversation was over when he said two. So that was a permission I lost out of being a kind of a dumbass, kind of assuming that there was some flexibility. It's a bummer. Yeah. And to be just like screamed at by someone yeah. is difficult. <laughs> For sure. I had a friend who the older got, you get, the harder it is. You think so? <laughs> I had a friend who had permission, who got permission, you know, by way of just knocking on doors. And he went to go, this was a handful of years ago, and I'm trying to remember his story. But as I remember it, he had gotten permission and then came back there, I don't know, a week later or something with his wife to do some scouting. And this guy lived down this little, like, two-track road way back in the middle of nowhere. So he decided to go down the road, park his car, and then his wife was going to stay in the car while he went off and did some scouting or whatever he was doing. Um, he hadn't told the landowner this, and so he goes off, does his walking, but his wife is sitting in this car, pulled off the side of the road in this guy's farm, and this guy comes up from behind. The landowner ends up seeing this car. It wasn't the same vehicle that this friend had used before. So he sees a random car with a lady sitting in the front seat and he was so mad about somebody trespassing, he went running up with a shotgun, screaming at her through the window. And uh, just because of a you know, lack of communication. That spot didn't work out. No. Nope. That didn't work out too well for any of them. <laughs> she but got a real scare. My number one rule is no gray area. There yeah. are no assumptions. I'm like, yeah. this is exactly the, hey, just so you know, I have this crappy old white Chevy with a gray topper. Yeah. That's me. And it's and then if friends are, it's also like the timing conversation and figuring out like what would be kind of valuable to these people. Like, mm-hmm. hey, like you know, gates you knock it all out up front, and then if somebody's like, hey, I know you got permission on that place, can I come too? I'm always like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them this winter, mm-hmm. and we'll see about next next year because I already got permission this year, and I'm not gonna push my luck this year it's such a tenuous thing i think yeah yeah because then you always got like every farmer's got a cousin or something oh yeah so you lose him too not because you did something bad but because he's like ah you know my cousin he wants to come out with his cousins i can't say no to them so this year's just gonna be too crowded out here that's a big way that people lose so you kind of have to take advantage while you have it oh yeah but yeah it is this you got to walk that like this line that is not truly even there uh, 
because you, you never know when those properties are going to go go away yeah. forever. And typically when they're gone, they're gone. Um, but at the same time, you can't push your luck either. We used to do a lot of gift giving and then offers of work. Like I remember the, the main farm we hunted as kids. Well, we hunted two main farms as kids. I remember the uh, farmer broke his arm. And for weeks, my old man had me and my brothers, we were just little kids. For weeks, we were out there shoveling manure while the farmer's arm was broken. Because my old man would use us. You know, that was something Davy Crockett's dad did. People don't realize this. Davy Crockett, his father hired him out as an indentured servant to satisfy his own debts. Wow. From the time, I think from the time he turned nine, his father would, le- would give his, give da- his Davy Crockett's father would give his labor to his debtors. So my old man would do a similar thing. For hunt permissions, we would go out and shovel manure for Harold Zeldenrust. That's such a West Michigan name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the other family, these are great families. And my mom, my mom's still fr- friends with these families, but the Zeldin Rustins and the Zerlots. So I grew up thinking everybody had a Z, yeah. the last name started with a Z. <laughs> no, but great, yeah. So we did that, went out, shoveled Nur. I used to throw hay bales for Tom Weersma, a farmer. I would throw hay bales for him in the summertime. Small price to pay, because you only throw hay bales for like a day or two. Yeah. But, but there's like so few under, people that are willing to do that. It too. was understanding because we would hunt his place for small game, hunt his place one time for geese, and then I would trap. Uh, yeah. And he I, had a handful of properties. And he would call you to throw bales, and you went through bales. Yeah, and you better drop what you're doing <laughs> and go. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a spoken thing. It wasn't like, oh, I'll give you permission on the, you know, on the condition that you – satisfy x demands it was just sort of a there was like this sort of reciprocity it was like this built-in understanding of i'm doing something for you you will do something for me i once saw a uh, have you guys seen the um poison dispensers for gopher holes or prairie dog holes that you can mount on the front of a four-wheeler yeah i know what you're talking about right so you drive over the top of the hole hit the button it drops a little a uh, certain amount of uh, poison pellets into the gopher hole. Uh, buddy of mine and I showed up. It was hunting season, but it and it was cold. Right, the the farmer rancher was like, "Nah, I don't have time for this." And uh, my buddy's like, "Uh, you, you mind if we just keep, we were asking for archery permission to hunt uh, mule deer on his place?" And he's like, "What if we just shoot gophers?" And it was like this, oh, with bows and arrows, you're going to shoot gophers. And this is not an exaggeration at all. And this is not like an archery trick shot at all. But a gopher is standing up on the edge of this guy's yard. And the guy's like, can you hit that one? And this is like <laughs> a 15-yard shot with a compound bow, right? It's not, not crazy. Uh, my buddy uh, Kyler shoots the thing, and the guy's like, all right, stay on the roads. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, that I think is a thing that people, yeah, because like when people are going to go do a farmer or a property owner favors, 
they tend to want to do the enjoyable favors. Yeah. So you get a lot of guys who, because farmers do need to do a lot of, in some areas, need to do a lot of prairie dog work, like controlling prairie dog colonies or ground squirrel colonies, which destroy, can destroy cropland or destroy pasture land. So people are like, oh, that doesn't sound half bad. And if that's something this guy really needs to get done and actually pays to have done, I'll volunteer for that. But it's less people who are like, hey, man, do you need help stringing fence, fixing fence? Moving pipe, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think that that stuff goes a long way. And there's a lot of guys that aren't going to take you up on it. Because, like, in the time it would teach you what to do and show you all the ins and outs, you could have had it done. But they're impressed that you offered Yes. And and to be clear, I think very much this particular rancher was just like kind of had to eat his own words. Yeah. Cuz he's like there's no way in hell you're going to hit that prairie dog. And he's like, "Oh, yeah, just yeah. Go for it." type of thing. So And then he's less worried about having deer running around with arrows coming out of weird parts of them. Yeah. Yeah. What else, Mark? Uh well, to this point of we're talking keeping permission, we're kind of fast forwarding a little bit from getting it, but no, not, I think yeah, we can stay on. I want to stay on keeping. So not only though it is doing, Did we get into gift giving yet? You mentioned it, gift giving. Which gift giving? Yeah, I've done Christmas cards, I've done veggies in the garden, I do venison, all that kind of stuff. But another thing that seems simple, uh, but some people really value it, especially if it's someone who's older, maybe a little more lonely. Um, there's a gentleman I hunt on his property that I know this guy just wants a friend. Like he just wants someone to talk to. You bring so, him a friend. Myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, when, whenever I got a friend in the truck, <laughs> you have Adam. <laughs> so whenever I'm there, though, it's, you just <laughs> you make time to just sit in there. You just plan on 45 minutes that we're going to talk, and we're going to talk about World War II, and we're going to talk about the the Dust Bowl, and we're going to talk about the book he wrote, and we're going to talk about how we lo- used to love to go dancing, and we'll talk about the same stories every time, and I love it, and I appreciate the guy so much. And you I say yes to coffee. Everything, and we talk politics, and I disagree with 99% of what he says, but I nod my head, I'm like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's great. I mean, it's, 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 I know that he appreciates that so much, and I appreciate you know the opportunity to hunt. Um, and I think there's people out there like that and so, it is appreciation too i know a lot of ranchers where it's like even if you do everything right but you're not you don't show them that you truly appreciate the work that they've done how they've maintained their place kind of the sweat and tears that they've put into it they're just gonna be like yeah i feel a little taken advantage of so yeah it is the the true interest in the in what's going on out there, like, oh boy, I see you did this, and that's everything's looking so good this year, and that that's a big deal. My brother uh, makes venison summer sausages, and then puts together gift bags for people that he for people who he has hunting permission, and makes venison summer sausages, and puts other things in the gift bag, and brings that around. Where especially you could be like, hey, I shot this deer on your place. And then I made this. Here's this summer sausage. People eat that up. Eat it up metaphorically <laughs> and literally. They may turn around and give it away, but it's a big deal that you drove the 90 miles or whatever to deliver this stuff. 
We used to hunt on a guy's place. The, you know, the last man to be legally hanged in Wyoming was Tom Horn. There's a movie about Tom Horn. Um, he was a stock detective, and he was kind of like caught up in. He had old fashioned ways of dealing with cattle rustlers that were falling out of favor in his time. Like it was just getting to the, he was into the early 1900s and you couldn't just ride out and start shooting people who were stealing cattle anymore. And it wound up getting them on the wrong end of a rope. And he was hanged in Sheridan, Wyoming. The last man to be legally hanged, Tom Horn. So we had a, used to hunt a guy's land named Tom Horn. So I brought Tom Horn a book about Tom Horn. <laughs> That's pretty good. Which he appreciated. Now, we would also hunt rabbits on this place a lot. And one day I brought him a carrot cake that was decorated with rabbits. And I felt like it really, like he didn't. <laughs> didn't get that? He didn't get it. <laughs> and that's, that's we're like standing there like, ha, ha, look at this. Right? And I remember being like, just looking at like, what in the world these boys bring me a cake for? <laughs> what are boys doing decorating the cake? Yeah, it's got, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's got uh, rabbits on there, you know, and we, um. No, then we hunt rabbits out here. So there's rabbits in the cake? <laughs> I remember that fell a little flat. But he really liked the Tom Horn book. And so there was like a thought, like trying to be like a thoughtful gift to say, hey, thank you so much for allowing us access to your property. And people are pragmatic. And I think people, especially in the agricultural world, are extremely pragmatic relative to other segments of the population. And I think that to be like, you know how you let us come out and hunt your place? Well, here's all the stuff we cooked with the things we got in your place. Like, we put it to use, and now we're here's some for you. That makes them feel like, because when you, like, love a piece of land and work a piece of land, you'd like to see the land provide. The fruits of your labor. Yeah, and so to have some Joe Schmo, you know, from town come out and harvest something off the, the place, and you see that he's using it and sharing it with you, it makes them feel like how they like good about the property's ability to provide. I think that's a good and that thing. You see it too for you know? people to remember is, you know, these farmers and ranchers. They're not folks that really have downtime. Like they can work every minute, uh, every day in perpetuity, and you, so you're all already starting out your foot in a little bit of a hole. So they're like, oh, boys have some free time, huh? That's got to be nice. Yep. Yeah. So. Like the last thing that he would ever be doing would be driving around trying to find a place to recreate. Oh, yeah. Or you guys choose to sleep outside. Yeah. We've gotten that so many times. Like your day's off. You want to go out and be cold again. We used to have, where I grew up, there was a lot of, not Amish, but they were like, they were Mennonites. But they had the same or they kept the same rigid Sabbath. And their deal, I had, I had a, like they had like last name like Yoder and various things like that. And uh, their deal was that you do not hunt. I think they kept a Saturday Sabbath, no Saturday hunting. And in fact, when I would trap land Mennonite land, and I had a lot of permissions with these guys because once I knew some of the people in that community, you could get permissions anywhere in the community. You pulled your traps, like at by dusk on Friday. Yeah, kind of. They uh, were not even on the land working. 
you pulled them and then re-put them back out again. And it was just like a thing like, I can't even begin to understand where you're coming from, but it's your place, okay. Yes. If that's the rule. Seemingly, not, it definitely doesn't seem arbitrary, but it was just like a different thing you were invited into. But no, I mean, it goes, it, that's a unilateral, right? It's, uh, or universal, rather. The, you may be on one place that the guy's like, oh, yeah, drive wherever. Don't assume yeah. the next property is going to be the same way. You're like, well, what do you mean? I, I, your buddy down the road lets me drive through the field. Yeah. That's not going to go over well. Yeah, guys that are touchy about driving, we would also just offer, like, we'll just park at the house and never even touch the car, just walk from the house. Yeah, you're worried about gates and driving and all that. We won't even drive. And some people are like, that sounds good, great. Yeah. I've always thought that's important just to make sure you know where do you want to park, where should I drive. Like That always seems to be one of those sticking points. It's good to have laid out ahead of time. Like you said earlier, lay out, get as many things on the table up front as possible. No no question marks if you can. So, No, no Mark Kenyon, you're an organized guy. So we handled... We touched on getting kicked off once mm-hmm. you've had it. We touched on maintaining. Should a little bit about, about getting. Should we talk about getting? Or Yeah, let's talk about getting. Definitely need to talk a little more about getting. <laughs> Dude, uh, can I share my process? Oh, please. Because I'm pretty. Now, I already mentioned, like, I'm always thinking about permission. So if, if random opportunities pop up, I always try to take it. Um, so once like I was driving around in Montana looking for places to hunt and ran across a guy that had a flat tire. So stopped to help him out as I'm helping him with his tires. Well, you truck. To, before I get out and start fixing this, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have no <laughs> land, do you? Know anybody that does? <laughs> no. Cause I just might have a jack. <laughs> but, and a bow. But any type of happenstance like that, you know, sometimes good things come of that. But when you don't have a situation like that, when I'm simply... I know. Oh, but what, what happened there? I was oh, I was joking, but well, what didn't happen there? Yeah, so I got you out to help him. Permission. Yeah, on like fifteen hundred acres, because I helped him out and gave him a drive back home, and we were just chit chatting. He's like, "Well, what are you doing out here?" I was like, oh, "I'm just trying to find a place to deer hunt," and I knew. How- <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, we have all this land over here, and gosh, it was real nice of you to help us out and everything." I was like, "I'm oh, happy to do it," and then. He brought me over for a beer, and we're having a beer, and then we keep talking. He's like, so you really like to hunt, huh? And I was telling him more and more about it, and by the end of, you know, like an hour drinking beer and helping out, I had access. So There you go. Yeah. That's good old American elbow grease access getting right yep. there, man. Yeah, yep. but it doesn't always come it warms that. warms my heart. Yeah, it doesn't come falling out of the sky like that all the time. So I kind of have like a process that I go through when it comes to, to, the, to your point about being organized. This is where that comes out, I guess, for me. Because I think the biggest thing when it comes to getting hunting permission, at least around where I'm at, which is you know South Central Michigan, um, where there's lots and lots and lots and lots of hunters, like 750,000 deer hunters in the state now, somewhere around there, um, and then the vast majority of that, vast majority of that's crammed in the bottom third of the state. So there's tons of pressure. Just that's where the people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone's trying to get permission to hunt. So it's a numbers game. And whether that's, you know, down by me or most anywhere, it comes down to being a numbers game. Like, you just need to go into it, in my opinion, knowing that you're going to get a lot of no's. So you need to ask a lot of people to get that one yes. So what I do is I... What's the ratio? I would say out of 15, 
15 to 20 asks, I'll get one to two yeses. So we'll say one to 10. Um, so a lot I'm, of rejection. A lot of rejection. So I plan for that. And I, I hate, I hate cold, cold knocking on doors. Like I'm nervous. I'm uncomfortable about it. I don't like to have uncomfortable conversations with people I don't know at all. So I, I know that about myself. So I force myself into a process to get past that. So I, I go and I look at plat maps or whatever digital online GIS maps are out there or whatever. Look at aerial maps and pick out. I always try to get a list of at least 10, 20 properties that I would like to get permission on. I make a list and I find the landowner information. So I know the names and the addresses for every one of those 10 to 15 places, we'll say. So, for example, I did this in Iowa. And a lot of people think that to hunt in Iowa, at least in the whitetail world, that's like the mecca of the whitetail world. Everyone thinks that's where the biggest deer are, that's the best deer hunting in the country. So people assume you need to pay an outfitter $5,000 or pay $10,000 a year for a lease or something to go and hunt there. Um, I wanted to hunt there for free. So I did this. I put together a list um, between looking at all these different things. And then I also had a couple of friends in the area who said, hey, you know, this property looks like one you should look at. I've, I've seen a big buck in that field. So I put together the list. I have 15 properties. And then... All like in a, the same area? General region. Within like... A, 15, eh, not even, maybe 10 miles. Um, so I don't like knocking on doors and cold knocking. So because of that, what and I by do... By that you mean just walking up like a door-to-door salesman, mm-hmm. banging on the door and saying, hey, my name's Mark, can I go hunt? Yeah, that's, that's an uncomfortable thing. But sometimes that's what you have to do. So what I make myself do is I'm going to do that and I'm going to do all of it in one day. I'm going to knock on 15 doors in one day. I'm going to have a list. I'm going to have a plan. And that first door you go up to is, oh, I don't want to do this. I should just go back to Michigan. But you get through that, you get through that door knock, and it, it goes okay. You didn't get yelled at. You didn't get shot. It was okay. The next one feels a little bit better. The next one's even better. And then by four, five, six, seven, it's a snowball effect. And by 12, 13, 14, 15, it's piece of cake. Nothing to it. So I can get through so many door knocking. So that's your, but that is still your initial point of contact. Well, so it's like bang, bang, bang on the door. This is if I've exercised all their options. So this is if, you know, I've, I've went through my whole personal network and there's nothing. This is if I've, you know, tried to, you know, strike up conversation in a hardware store or at the bar or whatever. I mean, any way you can get a connection is, is yeah. the best. This is if I have zero, if I have nothing else to work with, if I'm completely in the dark, starting from ground zero, you get the list. You try if you know anything. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, but any little bit of tidbit of information about the people or the area, local is sports a good thing. teams, yes, anything like that. <laughs> like I'll slap a Hawkeye sticker on my truck when I pull up. <laughs> not not the, really, but uh, high school teams. Yeah, that'd be good. It's a big deal in Montana. Um, but but yeah, I you can do it. I, I got permission on over a thousand of over a thousand acres in Iowa. For zero dollars, um, out of state, dude. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and it came came down to things that I said earlier. Where, so I think you got to present yourself, you know, as a non dangerous, somewhat respectable person. You don't want to go up there in like a suit and tie and seem like all hoity toity. But I don't think you also want to show up like you've been shoveling manure for the last seventeen days and you're someone who looks a little sketchy. I think there's like a middle ground. So present yourself in a respectable way have a decent thing planned about how you want to start a conversation. And then I always 
try to let that conversation go anywhere it wants for as long as it wants. Um, even if they come out and say, no, you know, you can't hunt here. I'll keep chatting them up for as long as they want to chat because, you know, I, I don't want to be disrespectful and bother them. Like if they want to be out of the conversation, you know, I'll, I'll be out of your hair. Sorry yeah. to bother you. But many times people just want to chat sometimes, especially I feel like some of these, you know, a slightly older gentleman maybe that's on a farm in Iowa or whatever it might be, rural Ohio, where to my point earlier, sometimes they just want to chat. Um, and many times those lead to different opportunities. And then you leverage that last one. So you say, oh, Bob sent me and then Bill sent me. And then as you keep going, those things, they kind of all, they all work together. I think another important thing, and I want to stay with your process, but I just want to interject on a couple points. When doing cold door knocking, go by yourself. Do not, unless you can go with your wife or better, a four-year-old, mm-hmm. the best thing that could happen is you go with your kid. I cannot wait for my it, yeah, future well, son. Tear it up. <laughs> That's one of the you'll, things I'm most excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be tearing permissions a new one when you can go up with kids. Uh-huh. The yeah. more you're probably doing it with the baby Bjorn just oh, strapped right to your chest. Planning on it. You'll walk it right up. Because <laughs> one, you're just playing on like a basic innate human thing where you sort of like appreciate seeing a like a father like interacting with children in a way where you're trying to like introduce them to the outdoors and be outside with them and, 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 and you know and the kids come up to them and look them in the eye and you know shake their hand. It just resonates with people. Don't go up there with three dudes because you, you can wind up making someone uneasy oh, with yeah. a bunch of people. It's like go up by yourself or if you can, go up with your spouse or go up with your children. 100% agree. Don't peel people off because also there's like four guys standing outside the door. Yeah. And I think the way you dress thing is important too because if you're in, like, if you're in a suit, people are going to be wondering like what you either door-to-door proselytizing or sellings, it's just it's just weird and off. Yeah, but clean cut, put together. Look them in the eye. State your purpose. I, I've you know seen where people come up and they like beat around the bush so much that it sort of creates a tension where the person's like, "Why are you at my door?" Yeah. So make your intentions known fairly quickly. There's like this one school of thought that you're supposed to go up and start complimenting them on the place. But unless you're able to pull that off in a very authentic way, I think it can be off-putting. Yeah. Jeez, beautiful property. Couldn't help but notice your beautiful property here. Like people are like, come on, bro. It's got to be a $650,000 harvester. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Like polite, but unless you can really pull it off, don't come up and do just like, like, Sort of like cynical acts of flattery as a way to, you know, as a way to establish. When someone, if I get a knock on the door and I come up and some guy's like, beautiful house you have here. I'm like, oh my God, where's this going? Oh boy. This is going somewhere where I don't want to go. To the point of making your intentions known quickly, relatively quickly. I also think clearly, because sometimes if you just generically say, hey, can I get permission to hunt here? That's like a lot to consider if you make it very clear maybe you i'm just looking for somewhere to bow hunt for one week this year if you're only going to be in that area for a week or whatever it might be specify what weapon specify how long or how often or anything like that Um, because many times that will a make them feel more comfortable or b your specific request might fit into their you know setup when when a general request wouldn't that's another permission i lost 
I one time got a permission to trap muskrats on a large marsh, and it was like a difficult marsh to get access to, and I got access to the marsh through a guy who wanted to be a theater teacher. And he, very politely after a while, said, like, I didn't realize that it was something that, that needs to be done every day. So in the future, I didn't lose it, kind of lost. He was like, in the future, um, let's work on picking out like a handful of days because he didn't know that you might trap three months. And in a giant place, you might be like using that point of access. It's just like in his mind, he just pictured something that would happen a few times. But I do, to your to, also to your point, um, starting out where you're talking about like a finite period of time, this weekend, would it be okay if we hunted this thing? Because you can always do it successfully, stick to your word, everyone's happy. You go back again, and then it might turn into the, you know what? Just, you know, you know the, you know the place. You know the rules. Help yourself. That happens all the time. That you get in, and eventually a guy's just like, ah, you guys, are, you guys know what's up out here. Never any problem with you guys. Go ahead. And eliminate that vagary, right? It's like, I, I want hunting permission. That That's so much, a like, place like Iowa that's, upland birds and turkeys and uh sometimes mule deer and whitetail right i don't think there's muleys in oh no oh you gotta um, get into western nebraska but it's like yeah well my kids really like to hunt pheasants you know so knock that stuff out of the gate before they have a chance to say no to it be real specific finite amount of days will be out of your hair before you even know it i used to have a permission where we could hunt everything but rabbits and rabbits is usually the way to get in but this guy had a kid who had rabbit dogs. Yeah. So he was like, sure, anything but the thing that you probably think I would most readily let you go do is off limits. Yeah, we had a, a great permission outside of, um, uh, actually kind of outside of Red Lodge. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, you guys can hunt. Here's like how the place lays out. Uh, have a great time. But just... Uh, God, you can kill all the uh, turkeys you see, and you can kill all the elk you see, but don't shoot anything else because you know they're coming back from some disease or something. Yeah. So of course, all we see are like white tails and pheasants. <laughs> you know, it was like just bizarro world out there. Nope. You know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not a point you want to argue with someone. No. It's no. just like okay. Yeah. That needs to be your attitude. Copy. Yeah, you can't explain it either. You can't be like, well, okay, statistically, and talk to the biologist, and just so you know, here's this. And it's like, oh, so you know my place better than I do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mark, keep walking us through the process. Well, I mean, I I think we've kind of covered all the bases of my process. You you start by looking at all the maps. and, And even before that, something I do is if I'm going into... Let's say I want to hunt a state I haven't hunted before. We're going to go back a little bit farther in time here. I want to hunt a new state. Let's say I want to hunt in Illinois for whitetails this year. And if I'm going into that goal of, hey, I want to be able to shoot a mature buck maybe for free. Like I want to have a free permission. Um, So first I'm going to be looking at the map, like an aerial map of the state. And then you can start laying over things like um, 
Pope and Young record book data or something like that, which can tell you, you know, it's a rough estimate. Okay, Pope and Young bucks probably mature or whatever might, whatever your goal might be. That's one way to say, okay, it looks like this, this corner of Illinois looks like there's some disproportionately high quality hunting, this little corner here. So then I can look at those specific counties. I'll pick a county. Okay, I like the looks of, you know, what this area might be. And then I'll zoom in, look at aerials, and try to find properties on aerials that look like the right type of cover and habitat that could be high quality. And then you lay over the property ownership stuff and then pick out your specific places. Um, but then after you get the doors knocking, then you know, then it goes to everything I just said. Every conversation as far as it goes, utilize past connections, keep on going through the list, and then you'll hopefully, out of 15 or something, you hopefully will get one. And then from there, do everything we just talked about when it comes to keeping permission and then keep building that rapport, keep that relationship up. I always then happen to say to happen of it, even if I get permission, I'm down there a few weeks or a few months later. Anyone else around here you think I should chat with? You know, always trying to find another little couple spots and just keep on branching from there. I always try to get in, in some states, you don't need to do this, but in some states you need permission to go and track a wounded deer. So... I'll try to. Well, some, you, you can't cross over onto land correct. just to blow. Can you do that anywhere? Yes. There like, are places where yeah. you can go onto land you do not have permission for to retrieve yeah. game. Right of retrieval. Yeah. Oh, so I, really? I, yeah. Know, I know Iowa has that. I know Ohio and Michigan do not. So in Ohio, so I hunt these. I didn't know that any place. I, I, all I ever hear about is how you can't. I never heard about how you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I think if I, if I remember the Iowa law correctly off the top of my head i think you're just not supposed to have your weapon with you you need to leave it there across the line or something oh like that. you know what now that i think about it you're right i remember being somewhere where someone told me that that you can go over hunt hunt they're talking about hunting waterfowl mm-hmm. you can go over to get it but you can't bring a shotgun with you yeah. and you can't bring a dog yep yeah so so sometimes i should do better at this sometimes i preemptively do it sometimes it's post but either way if you preemptively go and talk to your neighbors and get permission, that's a great way to, again, just get a foot in the door, build a relationship. Because then you're not even doing a big ask. Right. Hey, just, just in case, I happen to hunt Tom's place. Just want to let you know I'm going to be there and wanted to just make sure you know, if I happen to hit a deer that comes over here, would that be okay if I come to retrieve? I'd, I'd be happy to let you know Dude, if I'm going to be coming over. that is such a good foot in the door mm-hmm. attitude. That is a great trick. Yep. And lots of times, like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then you can offer, hey, I'll... I'll be sure to let you know, or I'll stop by before I do it, or something like that. So it gives you another excuse to stop in and chit chat. Then you start hunting the edge of his property. Well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just hoping one runs over so you can go have another chat yeah. with him. Put the tree stand right on the fence line. But there's 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 one particular property in mind that. Um, I'm just, I've been working for like six years and someday I'm going to get permission on this property. I have permission to shed hunt it. I have permission to retrieve deer on it. Um, and a really nice, really nice people that live there. Um, and you know, if it doesn't work out, that's fine, but maybe someday, you know, this will open up another opportunity to hunt. So just keep on, keep on trying to get to know more and more people. Um, and you might get permission. You might just make a new friend, which is great too. Um, and then I think it comes down to then just the work of it. I know so many people who, to what we were talking about earlier, so many people complain about not having enough places to hunt or not having anywhere to hunt. And I think it does come down to just work. Like you just need to do these kinds of things a lot. I even wish I did them more than I do them because I still feel like I don't have enough places a lot of time. So like going into 2018 already, like just like last week, I was sitting in my, you know, where was I? I don't know where I was, but I was sitting there like 
telling myself, you got to do better job getting more places next year. Like next year you are going to have like 10 new spots. You got to do it. You got to put in the work, you know, just, it's so easy to get lazy or to just be like, ah, I'm okay with these two spots. It's fine. I think we've got, we all have a lot of things going on or maybe you just, it's uncomfortable trying to find places or have these conversations. Um, but if you want it bad enough, you got to work for it. I used to know a guy, he was a professional trapper and he was explaining how he, how he like applies all of his permission getting efforts. When you look, and he used a lot of aerial photography. So this is, I was talking to him before Google Earth was real, you know, commonly used for this. But he would use aerial photography. And he had access to a ton of it somehow. And a big part of his life and time was just like permissions, right? And he had identified, he worked off of gas lines. So gas line right-of-ways. Because... In this sort of, he's in this area where it was mixed, sub, like suburban, rural interface, and kind of like suburban communities up against ag land communities. But he had he had identified power lines and gas line right of ways as being these strips of like brushy habitat that he felt animals used as travel corridors, and also he in his area was a big riparian area so you had like a big river valley and the river valley was low bottom lands that weren't developed and it was mostly timbered and brushy along those the river bottoms so he had a couple power lines a gas line right away and a riparian area and he just systematically worked every piece of property that butted up against those things that he identified as being like travel corridors that he was interested. Well, he hunted a lot of deer and had a lot of deer hunting products that he marketed, um, but also fox and coyote. He knew traveled those things and could like they were they were um, funnels or channels for wildlife, and that was just how he devoted his time. Like he, his goal was to be that he would just own both sides of everything like that to focus his activities. I guess smart, Yanni. You had a good turkey uh, permission this spring. Hmm. Yeah, it's nothing real exciting about it, but no, it was just cl- it was like clean, classic, yeah, it was clean. A, yeah, well, and it was almost too good to be true because we saw strutters in a field, and then we we're like, "Yeah, let's go ask," you know. And we just drove another quarter mile down the road, pulled in. She's like, "Oh yeah, have at it," you know. So we went back out and muffed the first setup spooked them up into the trees, but then we chased them and caught up to them like an hour later, and we killed one. And went back, and uh, we were hoping to just get to go back and say thanks, and you know, build on the relationship, and uh, maybe get sort of like an all access pass. <laughs> so we we're like, yeah, next time. She's like, yeah, just stop by anytime. Please ask before you go. You know, <laughs> so. But that was kind of like the thing that supposedly doesn't happen anymore, though. Yeah. Supposedly. You know, and I was saying in the beginning how the good old days are over and everything's different now, but now that I come to think of it, last winter, I just want to take my kids small game hunting around where I grew up, and I called my mom to, like, check around for me, right? It was just people, and it was just there. We just had places to go. Mm-hmm. No, I heard a story while I was in Wisconsin. It's, uh, like, I think the guy... 
he just he started talk he stopped in somewhere started talking to the to the wife i think and she's like no 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 husband doesn't let anybody hunt here doesn't let anybody hunt here no 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 and he's like well you know could i please just you know she's like yeah come back at 5 or whatever so he comes back he's like no i really don't let anybody hunt here and i think it was the same thing he had like someone else hunting there but he's like you know i just kept talking to the guy and sure enough he's like well that guy doesn't really hunt here that much. I think you could hunt like this little corner over here. There's like the 15 acres and he just, and it was basically all just from a little bit of persistence and then just from having a long conversation. And it was only the one. Long, the long or no, it was two because he, he came back in the evening, you know, but he's been, he said he's been hunting the place for years now. Uh, when you say he came back in the evening, what do you mean? To talk to the husband. Cause the, oh, I got cause, you. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't there at the moment. This summer I was uh, trying to scout some public land in Southern Michigan and uh, on my little land ownership map I had, there was one access point to the backside of this big chunk of public that looked like very far away from everywhere else, and you could get into some pretty gnarly stuff. So I thought, I really want to try to scope that place out. So I go follow this map, and I turn onto the road, what looks to be a public road on this map that leads to a little parking lot. It's just a little two-track, and it looks, it goes up next to this guy's yard, and I was just like, man, I don't know, but the map, says it's good so i'm like all right i'm gonna drive back there so i drive and i'm driving down the road and i get maybe half mile down the road and i see no trespassing signs on either side of the road and then you get another like quarter mile down the road and then you see like skull and crossbones on the trees and then you get a little farther down and there's a skeleton like a fake skeleton holding a fake ar rifle and then it says if you can read this you're in my scope and i'm like all right uh this definitely seems like i'm this must not be the right place. So as I'm seeing all this, I'm like, okay, I need to find somewhere to turn around. And then right when like I see this and I realize, okay, I got to get out of here, a golf cart comes flying down the road right at me. I'm like, oh, geez. Here we go. So the guy pulls up, and I bring down my window. And at first he's like fiery and like, what the hell are you doing down here? And I was like, you know, I'm looking at my map. I was looking for this piece of public land access. It looked like this took me right to it. And um, I'm so sorry. Is this you know a private road? And he's like, yeah, blah blah. blah. And he's he's real fiery at first, but I just try to be polite and explain my situation. So I'll get out of here right away. I'm so sorry. Um, and then we got like a little bit of like momentum. He's like, well, I can understand though why you came in here. It used to be a public road, but there were so many guys coming down here and leaving crap, and someone left a dead deer on the side of the road and all this kind of stuff. I got the you know, state to shut it down or something. So now it's oh, private. Really? You okay. can't, you can't come down this road. You can't access it from here anymore. But we just started talking and we just talked and talked and talked and talked. And finally he's, he's talking about how there used to be people that hunted here. And I was thinking in my head, okay, maybe I could get just permission to drive down the road and park in the old parking lot and be able to access the back of the public land. Um, maybe the conversation will take us there in the back of my mind. And we're chatting about things. And then he's talking about, back in like the 70s when he used to hunt and he's talking about his old blinds and then somehow we get to the chores he's doing these days and then we're talking about how things are with his wife and how he wishes it was warmer in their house and it just it was a long time when we went everywhere with it and i was just kind of listening you know and I don't want to sound like I'm always like conniving to try to get permission I was just <laughs> going to bring that up <laughs> I was just going to bring up not in a bad way but like the here you are you're like a yeah, you're like a manipulator. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Like, <laughs> no, it's just, not you. Not you. Everyone. I just. It's because just. You're. You're. There. Like, here's a guy. You want something from him. He doesn't want anything from you. And it like that's like part of the pre- the reason you don't want to go out and bang on the door. 
Like if you were showing up, if you're like, I'm going to go bang on that guy's door and give him a thousand bucks, you'd be so excited to go do it. <laughs> right? But you're like, oh, I got to go bang on his door and bother him to ask him for something. And I don't like asking people for stuff. Mm-hmm. So it makes it uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think, I think the, I think if you see an opportunity or if you're, if you're having a conversation with somebody and it seems natural to, if an opportunity arises, I don't think there's any harm in letting the conversation go there or ask or just, you know, sometimes nothing comes of it. Sometimes well, like it happens. Even upon, if you said no right off the bat, you'd still sit and talk to them. Yeah, because then it's A, it's the polite thing to do in many cases. B, sometimes just interesting conversation. And then C, like in this case, we talked all over from every different side of the world, every different possible thing we could have talked about. And somehow got to the point that he's not feeling so good about cutting wood anymore. And I hear him say, I was like, man, I'm, I like cutting wood. Would, you, would that be something if I ever helped out, you know, cutting wood? Um, you know, I'd be happy to help you out with that. Maybe I could just drive down here and park at the parking lot here and maybe hunt him a couple times. He's like, now we're talking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and, then, and then come to find out he's not hunting his property anymore either. He's like, you can hunt my property too. So I just have countless examples of that kind of thing where if you're willing to help out. Or and now you got it in there? Yeah. Um, and he didn't shoot me and, and all that good stuff. It went down pretty well. You've been cutting stove wood? Not yet. It's going to be after hunting season. I'm going to cut some wood. So, there you go. Yeah. So you just got to let those things go where they may. Um, and then keep after. Every year I'm doing something like that, trying to find more spots. Yeah. Gift so. given. Mm-hmm. Expressions of gratitude. Yep. I'd like to bring up, though, like the, the what, like non-traditional methods and they're not really methods but i just think like uh what's the saying about you got to be on the dance floor right no when, when i don't opera- know that one ryan help me uh, out uh you got to be on the dance floor yeah it's you want to make kinda, it's kind of like when opportunity knocks you, you know gotta you make know. hay when the sun shine or whatever or? you got to dance when the music's playing maybe make hay when the sun shines no it's definitely not strike while hay. the iron's hot can't kill him on the couch. But if you're not like aware of the situation, it's not going to come to you, right? Right. If you're not just like thinking about it or sort of like in woo-woo terms, like have it open, you know, like put it out to the universe <laughs> that you're looking for hunting permissions, right? Just like I just feel like after a couple years in Bozeman, right? I'm new to Bozeman. And I haven't banged on any doors. I haven't really like made it like a point. I haven't done all these things that Mark's talking about, but just sort of through you know, talking to people and chatting them up and my kids making friends with other kids and then I meet their parents. And well, the that's next what we thing, got in the beginning was social connections. Yeah, but yeah, I felt like we needed to retouch on that and just make sure we that people touch on are... That we got to touch on the dude with the letter. Yeah, I got his letter pulled up. Oh. Um, so get done with what you're doing and walk <laughs> us through that. Appreciation. I think it's like people get to know you over the course of a few years and they're like, do you know yeah, that like, Giannis Patelis and his wife, after they put their kids to bed, will sit up and butcher deer until they do it all themselves. And that's almost all they eat. Isn't that amazing? Oh, to have him come out and hunt my place. Yeah, that's the type yeah. of person that I would let hunt my place if I let people hunt my place because they appreciate it. I want to point out that my brother, Is that what you're getting at, my brother has a sign on his property, which isn't big. He has 10 acres, and his signs, what's it say? I think it says, trespassers welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. 
Um, no, not. I mean, yeah. I mean, appreciation is good, but I, but I just think just just keeping your just being open, you know, in all situations to like something like that coming your way. Yeah, but you're kind of talking is. about like Latvian pagan stuff, though. No, about putting it out there to the atmosphere and stuff like that uh, to the universe. <laughs> to the, putting it out there to the universe. Well, it's like the it's just have it always in the back of your mind, and if you happen to have an opportunity to rise, you kind of go there. But some people might see someone with a flat tire and strike up a conversation with them, help them out, and never think to mention that you're looking for a place to deer hunt. But I am always thinking about that kind of thing. So sure. I just kind of offhand mention it, and it led to that happening. Maybe Is that kind of what you mean? Like just kind of allow networking and the karma of the universe allowed to happen, but also sure. kind of We don't have to it. get all woo-woo with it. I, I just think that it's like you but, don't have to go be on doors to get a hunting permission. Is my, is my, uh, like, I, like you were so surprised the other day. Remember I was telling you about how my dad is a bow hunter, right? Yeah, I was telling him. Well, yeah, well, he doesn't strike me as a bow hunter. Yeah, it was well. He was a he is still a home inspector, and through his trade, he's gotten all kinds of hunting permissions. Yeah, you know, because he's just he's like. But I mean, sure. Then that's sort of like almost like built. It's like the perfect way. Like you're in someone's oh, house yeah, looking out the, not, at the back that's forty, not putting it out to the universe. That's that you're you're out there interacting yeah, with homeowners. I, I know, but again, it's like non It's a little bit non traditional, yeah. right? Yeah. But I just think that in whatever you, whatever thing you do as a living or out there or daily, there's probably a way that you could network or or get hunting permission Absolutely. you know i got a, in your home area i got yeah. a handful of friends that are chiropractors and they a talk full of them yeah how do you have more than one chiropractor friend because i actually have a good explanation for this a group of guys all met each other going to chiropractor school a school in iowa um and they're all really into hunting and i then became friends with one of them who then introduced me to the others so there's a group of three of them that are all chiropractors yeah. because of school and now they're yeah. some of my best hunting buddies. Well, they see 40, 50 people a day, and they chat with them for 15, 20 minutes, and every day they talk to every one of those people about hunting in some way if they happen to be know there's a connection yeah. there. Permissions. Yeah, and they have all sorts of different permission because of those types of things. So whether you're a doctor or, I don't know, whatever, sometimes you can take advantage of that. Yeah, if you were a guy, if you were a tractor salesman or a grain buyer. Oh, yeah. Home inspector. I have the I have the worst job for it because I just sit in my home office all by myself every day. <laughs> yeah, you, go, you never know, talk to anyone. I red flagged your foundation here. You see this crack? You know what that's from? That whitetail buck over there. <laughs> <laughs> that's from having too many bucks on your property. <laughs> Let me tell you how to. All right, yeah, talk about the letter because this is unconventional. I just think it's just next level. It's next level, but this is like really. This is, we, this is just, this guy had, we, we got a letter. After we talked about how we were going to, we talked about how we were going to talk about getting permissions and had a lot of, uh, a handful of enthusiastic uh, emails come in from people encouraging us to have the conversation. And one guy shared with us his strategy. And his strategy is not like anything that we've touched on here. And it seems on one hand, a bit much on the other hand it just seems like a really great way for those places where you just can't get it in you can't figure out a good in yeah and he wanted us to share this to help folks out 
His name is Zarek. He's hmm. from the southeast. Zarek. Yeah. Should we just read the letter? Or do you want to kind of give it a, do a little synopsis? Read what he it? wrote. Read, read how he teed it up and then, and then walk us through the letter. His email. I, like, I, I really like this guy's approach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA... Gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck it doesn't catch on the d-rings the d-rings are built in the drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the usa from the last 20 plus years deck is a game changer there's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you the stuff i want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping we've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go but here's one product that stood the test of time seafoam motor treatment Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Uh, new hunter. He's a new hunter? Yeah, relatively new hunter, he says. And this is just his email to us, just sort of uh, just saying, hey, what's up? Um, listen, to, listen to what I got. He says, I'm relatively new hunter, 42, but 
42 years old, but I have access to over 100 acres of family land within an hour of my home. To expand my hunting locations to within minutes of my home, I developed a boilerplate letter that I customized for attempts to gain access to properties that I scout through online county tax maps that may produce hunting opportunities. When he's talking about an online county tax map, he's talking about what used to be known as a plat book or a plat map where it's public information, who's paying taxes on what. So you can go down to at the township level in, in, in the east where you have township level politics, you go to your township, your county, and just request a map that will have all the land parceled out. Yeah. And this reminds me of something we need to talk about. Not quite, per- oh, man, there's so much stuff you can get out of these. You can use these to find places you don't need permissions. But they aren't like actually public land. It's hard for me to explain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really quick, just to there hop in places on that. That are, they're not like part, like, they're not like state forests, national forests, but just like weird little hidey holes that are that are places you could go hunt but that would never be recognized as such off plat maps by looking at who's paying the taxes on it. But go ahead, Mark. Just want to inter- interject the plat maps. You can get them from your township hall or whatever, but you can also get digital versions very often. If you just Google the name of your county and then GIS map, so Kent County GIS map, right. and most counties have an online version of that plat map where you can see the aerial and the property lines, and then click on a property and get all their information too. Yeah. So, so go on, Yanni. So that's what he's talking about. Yeah, and it's close to what you can get on Onyx, right? I mean, Onyx, you're probably yeah. getting a little bit more info. I don't know if you actually get other phone get, numbers. I don't think you're getting any more info. You don't get phone number. You can get home address, yeah. name. You can get some property information. It's a great tool, man. I used to, I used to live on those things. Oh, here's my here's the quote I was trying to remember. Opportunity dances <laughs> with those already on the dance floor. That was good. I like that. All right. All right, so here's this guy. He gets on some plat maps around his area. Um I've been compliment, complimented by the Oh, I'm not reading the letter. It's this is still what he wrote to us. He's been complimented by the professionalism of the letter by landowners and managers that receive it and always get a response because of how it is laid out and what, is, what it offers. Nice. I was even contacted by one owner that said that even though he could not permit other hunters on the property because his brother hunts it, he wanted to call me and say that through the years he has received several requests from people to hunt the property and that he had never received a letter so well written concerning that subject. Man. This dude's a writer. He's, and he can pitch himself. This guy is on to something. You li- are you paying attention, Mark Kenyon? I am. I'm going to copy and paste this <laughs> you thing. You want to talk about ASAP. being wired to hunt. <laughs> he goes on to say, I'm in no means arrogantly promoting my writing abilities. I'm more of a technical writer than a storyteller. But in this case, I think what I've uh, developed gets the job done or at least gets the owner's attention. Listeners are pissing themselves with anticipation. My letter highlights <laughs> my intentions, what I'm offering in return a little about. Me and does it in a way that visually conveys my message and shows I'm an individual that cares for the environment and is a responsible hunter. Not terribly long, but I believe it's not too much that the reader is overloaded and not too short, but it would appear that it was hastily typed out just to gain access to as much property as possible. And he goes on to say they just want to share the letter to help us help you guys out and get more permissions. And then he also includes a... Uh, the, uh, so we're not even into the letter He's yet. from North Carolina, and the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission um, has a permission slip that they have on their website that you can just print out that is basically a release. 
Release, Hold Harmless, and Indemnification, produced by the NRA. Oh. So he attaches that in there, too, to be like, hey, you can, I'll sign this, you sign it, and then, you because know. Because we live in a litigious world, he's, yeah. he's given them a, a, yeah, he's like a liability release. Yeah. Because, yeah, especially people that don't know much about hunting. And this guy's, um, I thought we got out of this that he, yeah, he was like looking for stuff closer to home. I think he was like looking at the map. You can tell he, he's looking at spots sometimes that are small. They're kind of clo- hidey holes. Yeah, man. closer to, uh, you know, urban zones. And uh, so people might not be, you know, talking about hunting much yeah know? they might so not be getting inundated with requests he's because he's looking at just little chunks man like little mm-hmm. you know i got the sense you know like he wouldn't be overlooking some little 20 or 30 acre wedge of land somewhere you know which is another good point like that's another good way to find spots is sometimes those are the best most likely places you can get permission don't get overzealous and try to get the 300 acre spot take the 10 and the 20 and um all right, go on, Yanni. Um, that's about all he had to say. So I'll go to read his letter. I feel the letter starts out almost kind of a little creepy. Because he's sort of saying, like, man, have I been watching you. <sighs> yeah, yeah, a, a little bit. Um, because, not, again, but, if you, but, it, but it obviously it, works. If people. you're not familiar, because I think there's plenty of people that probably buy a piece of property or you buy a house that sits on, even if it's a quarter acre lot, and maybe besides when you flip through like the uh, signing all the papers at the mortgage house, right? That was like the only time you looked at the plat map, right? That, that came in, in that package, right? A lot of people maybe have never really looked at like an aerial view of their property, right? So he includes it in there. And, he, and it has an outline of his property. So is, it, is it too much to kind of say what he says? For you to tell us what he says? No. Oh, okay. Let it rip. Yeah. He says, hello, my name is Zarek. I'm contacting you concerning a property you own on XYZ Road, south of XYZ City in XYZ County, North Carolina. Specifically, parcel number 123456. And then there's a little map and the little parcels outlined. And then he even has like a, um, what do you call it? Like a little bubble, this, you know, with a little arrow pointing. Yes, this is your property. This is the one I'm asking about. I, I take it back. That's that creepy. No. Does that strike you as creepy, Mark? No. That's that creepy. Diligent. Yeah. Yeah. Fine line between creepy and diligent. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like we've been talking about, he's eliminating the gray area, right? Yeah. Yep. They're like, what? What of my places? <laughs> oh, very, very yeah. likely could it's, be. Right? You want to talk about eliminating gray? Yeah. This dude gets that done. This forty-seven point eight seven acre parcel appears to be a mix of pine and hardwood stands and may hold habitat for wild turkey, deer, and small game. I would like to inquire about the possibility to scout and legally hunt this parcel. In return for the opportunity to access this parcel to both scout and legally hunt, I am offering a few items to help preserve the property. First would be marking the property per the NC Wildlife Standards with purple paint along the public roadways to indicate that the property is private and that no unauthorized entry or hunting is allowed. Talk about servicing yourself and acting as though you're servicing someone else. Mm -hmm. He's saying, and not only that, but I will go and let other guys know 
buzz off. <laughs> this is now my hunting spot. <laughs> and then he explains the purple paint law, how it came to be. And there's even a little diagram of like where the purple paint needs to be on the tree, how high off off the ground. Yeah, and this is good because a lot of people are like, man, I you know, again, I had no idea. I keep half dogging on the guy, but I like it all because here's a guy he might not even realize that that's what you're supposed to do to mark it off limits. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden he's like, oh. I should. I guess I better do that. I didn't know I needed to do that, and now here's this fine young gentleman offering to do it for me. He continues to um, explain that the marking, per the Landowner Protection Act, will give wildlife officers the ability to directly address and cite anyone on the property without written permission to access or hunt the property. Nice. He's educating. Second, this parcel is large and could have unauthorized entry on the property and unwanted illegal dumping. Should we explain that? Most people know what that is, right? Yeah, people like trying to get rid of an old couch and a broken uh, washing machine. Yeah. Yeah. Never understood. Which isn't entirely bad because I've killed a lot of rabbits out of that stuff. Rabbits like that stuff. For some reason, they can't come up with five and a half bucks to take it to the city dump. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the washing machine, it's like, all right, it's good rabbit habitat. When you just see like 10 white garbage bags. They're eventually going to be ripped apart. Yeah. Oh, it's when I recently took my wife on uh, last holiday season, I took my wife on sort of a tour of all my former hunting spots and just driving around in a vehicle being like, oh, yeah, one time we and another time and you wouldn't have believed it, what happened here. And after a couple hours, my wife was like, I just cannot believe all the appliances that are out in these woods. I'm like, Welcome to West Michigan, man. <laughs> where appliances go to die. <laughs> yeah. And that time of year, they're very visible. Too. Yeah, because there's no full, uh-huh. all the leaves are down, and all it just looks like is like couches and appliances. <laughs> I'm like, after a while, you honestly don't see it anymore. <laughs> it just feels like the woods. <laughs> um, so so yeah, that's uh, a safe assumption. That's a safe assumption yeah. that there are there is garbage Some on this Illegal land. dumping. During scouting trips, I would gather garbage that I can hand carry in bags and report any unauthorized activity on the property. The goal would be to leave the property cleaner than it was found and help prevent any future costly cleanup when development, agricultural use, or future sales occur. As for me, so then he uh, basically introduces himself his wife, like a little bio material. What he does, there's a picture of he and his wife. What's he do? I forgot. Him and his wife. Um, he is a uh, code enforcement officer. Ooh. Yeah, good guy to know. Yeah, because if he was a guy that helps people who've been injured on other people's property get big settlements, that would not work <laughs> well for him. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't include that in my letter. But a code enforcer? If I'm gonna let someone on my land, it's gonna be a code enforcer, man. Now he continues with the education, which I like. He says this property is not within city limits and therefore discharging a firearm is legal, but due to nearby residential properties, rifle hunting would only occur on sections of the property that would be far away from homes where responsible shots would be made if a clear shot if a clear safe shot is presented. I am both a rifle hunter and a bow hunter and carry all items out with me that I take into a property during a hunt. This means that no deer stands or blinds or any other item would be left on the property. I also am recognizing there may be a question of liability for harm or injury to anyone on the property, either participating in scouting or hunting. As a hunter, I recognize that harm or injuries may occur on any property that may hold natural or unnatural obstacles or dangers. 
I also use tethered safety harnesses when I use climber tree stands. If granted permission, I would sign a waiver, removing any owner's liability to injuries or harm to myself and others you permit to be with me while on the property. And then he goes on to talk about the, uh, the uh, letter provided by the courtesy of the NRA that we talked about earlier. Um, some of my requests I'm offering to mark the property as private per the Landowner Protection Act become eyes for reporting issues that may be of concern for you. The landowner and clean up the property as manageable debris is found in exchange for access to the property for scouting and legal hunting. And he basically signs off. Says thank you for the opportunity. Permissions. That's good. <laughs> I like that guy. One thing that makes me want to add, I think I'm running out of things I wanted to add. I've talked about this a bunch of times. Maybe I haven't told you about it, Mark. There's a guy down in the Carolinas, a guy by the name of Joe, who has a group. Back, have I ever told you about Backyard Bow Pro? Uh, is this, I think I may have heard of it. These guys, they, there's a lot of, you know, small parcel, like, suburban, rural interface type properties in their area. And they got together a group where they have, the group has a proficiency test. The, the group conducts background checks on members. They, and they have, like, a bunch of rules. And they're very active in food bank donations, and they're also very active in getting permissions from a person and then assuring that that person gets a butchered and wrapped deer from their own property delivered back to them. So when you can go and seek permission and be like, all of the bow hunters in our group have all done background checks. We have a lot, they have a liability waiver system. We've all passed proficiency tests. We have like a seal of approval from our organization, Backyard Bow Pro, and we provide X services to the community and we will offer X services to you if you're interested in having venison from your own property. And, and that is how they, and they have tremendous success. Do they cap like the number of people allowed on the property at any given time? Or, I, don't know, I, I don't know enough about it. And you know what? And, and I haven't talked to them in a while. Um, but it was a it was a thing that they they were having great success with. It's cool. So just go look them up. If they're not around anymore, they won't be around anymore. But I feel that they're around still. Yeah, backyard bow pro. Interesting idea. Mm-hmm. But maybe like you were saying, you could just use it sort of as like as as part of your resume. You're over there talking to them. And you're kind of getting close, and you're like, oh yeah, belong to this group. It's sort of certified me to be a oh yeah for yeah, sure good guy. And you'd be like, and you can go online and check it out and see what kind of standards we have and, and find out, you know, and you got this sort of seal of approval from, and granted, it's almost like self-serving, but it was just like an interesting way to sort of, because there's no, there's no like state or federal version of it. It's just something that like private people have to come up with to sort of come and be like that, that a person who might, and, the, and their specialty is dealing with people who are otherwise, would otherwise be very uneasy with hunting. That works well for him. Mm-hmm. Any final things you want to add, Cal? Um, I got one one thing that I disagreed with with what Mark said. Mark Kenyon. Mark Kenyon. Really good. Wired to hunt. Yeah. Take Mark to task. That's oh, right. Oh boy. Um, so you wanted to hunt Iowa. Yeah. And people are under the assumption that 
coming from out of state, you got to pay 5,000 bucks, but you wanted to hunt Iowa for free. None of what we were talking about is hunting for free. True. You're not paying paying cash money, but all of this stuff is, you know, you're, you know, in some cases providing a service. For some cases, you're just letting them know that there's some good folks out there and you're willing to sit down and have a cup of coffee. But, um, you know, you're going on somebody's, nothing's for free, right? Um, yeah. And it's, if you no, go. I don't, I don't really understand what you're saying. If you go up and knock on a door to a place where somebody is working their butts off to make some sort of a living on a, on a farm or a ranch and your attitude is, I'm going to get something for absolutely nothing oh. from you. That's not going to work out well. But the, in all fairness, the distinction, not that I need to speak for Mark, the distinction Mark was drawing is like doing, entering into a lease agreement or not. Yeah, no, you're not, you're not doing that. But it's also, it, it truly is, I think, in most scenarios, there's, there's a, some sort of an exchange. It's not, just don't go knocking on somebody's door looking for something for nothing yeah got that mark i got that you got a rebuttal (laughs) i think i would say i mean i agree with you i think it was just a poorly worded maybe uh explanation of the fact that simply that don't look as as costs being prohibitive to you being able to hunt places because sometimes you can still get access that doesn't require monetary payment now of course you need to provide you got to give them whether it be conversation or simply uh respect for their property all those different things um yes definitely you don't want to be going in there the thing is you are people some people do carry around this kind of ludicrous idea that they're somehow doing a great service to the land owner just by just by being out there deer hunting it's like most guys if they really are like most guys are like man um i got all these deer and i just can't find anyone who's willing, and I have looked high and low, who's willing to come out and shoot these great big giant bucks on my place. It's like not really a problem. And even we get a lot of letters from people saying, I keep hearing about all the wild pig problems in Texas. You'd think they'd be paying me to come hunt pigs, (laughs) but I can't get a pig permission because the guy that owns the land is like, the only thing I hate more than pigs is letting dudes I don't know come around and run around my property with guns. Like that's even more of a nuisance than pigs. So I do think you have to go into it that you are as graciously as possible. Um, and without being a suck up, you are coming in and saying, I'm asking a favor of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, you're inconveniencing them. Yeah, and I, I like I am open to ways in which I could offset that through just politeness gratitude offers of help but at the core here i am not please understand i'm not looking at this any other way than i am saying to you may i please yeah absolutely yeah because if not you got the balance all mixed up Very true. Yeah. especially the case of a coveted animal like a deer yeah or whatever you know people love watching big old roosters strut across their lawns too yeah, you know but if we're talking yeah. about jackrabbits back during the dust bowl maybe and you'd be doing the guy a favor but generally it's like the guy is like okay buddy i'll do you a good turn 
and allow you access to my property. And I would expect some human decency back from you. Yeah. Yanni? Got nothing on that. You're spot on. Folks couldn't see it, but Yanni had a nod. He was nodding like he liked. <laughs> he was agreeing with that. Yeah. Yep. He was thinking about dancing. Being on the floor. Mark, um, Mark Kenyon, you want, can you want to plug Wired to Hunt podcast? If people are interested in like the, the, de- the nitty gritties, the nitty gritties of deer hunting. Yep. Wired to Hunt podcast. Be yep. the place to get it. And not all this crazy flying around and airplanes out in remote wilderness landscapes, but like the nitty gritty sitting on the back the 40 chasing whitetails 365 days a year. That is what we talk about. So. The saga of Holyfield. We didn't Man, get to that. We didn't Real even quick. talk about Holyfield. No, nah, dude, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Do you feel that like, how many years have you been trying to get this deer? Well, I've been watching him three years. The first year I passed on him, so I didn't want to hunt him the first year. So two years I've been actively trying to kill. Oh. Um, and now you didn't do it again. I still got time. Are you, are you feeling time. any uh, – we've talked about this before. Because you're like a – you know, you're a guy that makes his living talking about deer hunting. Are you feeling any sort of like uh, like, like profession – like are you feeling like, man – you know, I didn't get the deer. Do I still have my claim to legitimacy? <laughs> I'm not worried about my claim to legitimacy. Um, <laughs> because like we talked about last year, I, I never based my claim to legitimacy based on whether or not I was going to kill more deer than anyone else or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but I do feel pressure, both internal and external. Uh, the internal pressure. someone else is going to get him. Quite likely. Or he'll get hit by a car. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the internal pressure is I have put so much time and energy into it. Like any thing, whether it be all the time and energy you put into writing a book or a project you're working on or anything, if you invest a ton of time and energy, there's a lot of pressure to get whatever outcome you're getting or hoping for. And so I have, this season has been a little bit of, uh, has caused me to reflect a little bit on um, getting back to like, the enjoyment of it and not being so focused on the outcome because I've gotten a little bit too deep into that and have lost the fun in a little bit of it. Like I got just so frustrated with a lot of things that were going on. Um, so I have to maintain that balance because I'm very achievement oriented. I'm very, very goal oriented. I can get obsessed with things like that. So I need to constantly like relax, get back to what, why you do this, the love of what you're doing. Don't focus so much on whether or not you can kill this one single deer. But, but that has been my season. I have, you know, put 99.9% of all my time the last three months or whatever it's been to trying to kill this one deer. You've been seeing them. Yeah. Um, How many times have you seen them? I've had 11 encounters with him, I think. What's the closest he's been? This is embarrassing. I've told this story. I've told this story on, on my podcast, <laughs> but more people will hear it on yours. Um, November 7th, I had him at 20 to 25 yards at 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, late in the morning yeah late in the morning what was he doing uh he was just i think he was just cruising checking bedding areas for bedded does in the middle of the day but i hadn't seen anything for a couple hours so i had become a little bit distracted and i was facing this direction and i was holding my phone (laughs) paging through the phone and looking up every you know looking up every three seconds and look down the phone and i hear a little crunch behind my back i turn like that and he's 20 yards away spinning and running away. 
So I had him within shooting range, and I muffed it because I was on my phone. No. Uh-huh. And he's paranoid. Oh, but the next, no, three days later, I went back in close to that area and had him within shooting range, but he was behind brush. Um, later that day, one thirty in the afternoon that day, he came chasing a doe out of the bedding area at 60 yards, um, but running through there. Um, then I've had him many more times at like 80, 90, um, that kind of thing. So seen him a lot, had the close calls, but it's, it'll be like, he'll be here and then I'll sit here and then the next day I'll be sitting there and he'll be there and then the next day I'll be there. And then you see that I'm always one day behind him or one day ahead of him. Like he'll be where I was yesterday sometimes. Um, so we've been playing cat and mouse and hasn't worked out yet. But last year I saw him. So he him. got a good look at you, though. Oh, he definitely. That was the one time he's ever seen me to my, that I know of. Of course, he might have seen me when I don't know. But that's the one time in the three years Dicking I've hunted with him. with your phone. Yeah. So that, I, I had a mental breakdown after wired that. Wired to hunt. Yeah, wired to hunt. Right. <laughs> that's like <laughs> the irony of that. <laughs> so I, had, I, I, was in, I was in a bad place after that. that. For that next hour, I was in a real bad place. But. I mean, mentally. Mentally. I was just so upset with myself that I all this, I mean, so I much. I talked to you around noon because something happened and you were upset, but you didn't want to tell me what it was. <laughs> that might have been it. <laughs> <laughs> but but to, to what I mentioned earlier, so that happened. I was really pissed off at myself, frustrated. Um, all my buddies, we usually go down and hunt Ohio, some pro- property we got down there together, and we spend like a week or so in there. Um, so they went down a few days ahead of time, but I kept pushing it back. I was like, I got to focus on Holyfield. I can't go. Kept pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. I hadn't gone earlier in the season like we usually do. So I was missing out on this camaraderie aspect of my hunting season that I usually have. But I had to kill Holyfield, so I got to stay here. I focus on him. Well, this thing happened, and I was really frustrated. That night, I moved. Oh, no, I didn't see him that night. Um, but after that evening's hunt, and this was over the course of a 27-day period, I hunted 26 days for him. And 15 of those were 15-hour sits or 14-hour sits. I was there wow. an hour give, me, give me the rundown. 26 out of 27 days I hunted. Um, so from October 24th to November 19th, I hunted every day but one. And then 15 of those days were all-day sits where I would get in the, I'd head out to the tree stand two hours before daylight, and I wouldn't come in until, you know, after dark. Um, so I, you pissing in a bottle up there? No, nah, I piss right out of the tree. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Um, cause bucks come up and smell that. Yeah. Especially you should get Doug Duran. You should try to hire Doug Duran to piss below your tree because <laughs> it's buck man juice. Does it work? Oh, well, maybe that's he's got the, the photo. He's got photo evidence that buck man juice. That's the trick I need. Yeah. You should see if you can get some from him. I shot a buck once right after finishing peeing like moments. Yeah. Um, point of my story being that that night or that day I'd been very frustrated with things and then I went you know from like the low place of being really upset at myself to then yeah. starting to think why am I getting so upset about this like I'm hunting this is supposed to I, I love so many things about this why am I letting myself get so caught up in this to finally by the end of that night realizing you know what I just need to step away from it for a little bit so I was like, I'm going to go down to Ohio with my friends spend a little time with them um, you know, get back to some of the things that really matter here versus just killing one specific deer that I arbitrarily have chosen to be the only thing that will make me happy this season for some stupid reason. <laughs> so I go down to Ohio, and the second day I'm down there, my best friend kills the first buck he's killed in like four years, and I got to be there with him, help him recover. I actually saw the whole thing happen from across the valley and got to help him drag it out, gut him, do all that kind of stuff with him. Um, 
it was it was the best moment of my whole hunting season. Getting to share that moment with my buddy and be a part of that and help out. And it just kind of reminded me, you know, in the end, those are the things that really matter most. So I'm really I'm really glad I made that decision. It was a great just uh reminder to to focus on the important stuff and you know, hopefully Holyfield's still alive. I ha- I haven't I haven't hunted there in the last like eight days, eight or it's nine days. General firearm. Yeah, I tend I usually stay out. I hunt on opening day. I usually don't, but I hunt on opening day With there. Your bow and arrow. No, I took a gun out actually. Yeah. Um, and you were gonna shoot Holyfield if you got the chance. Yeah, that was another thing. I ended up deciding I'm gonna shoot him with whatever's legal. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a purist. I, I like bow hunting. I love bow hunting. I do that the most, but I'm not fundamentally opposed to shooting him with a gun. But you'd pass on him another time with a gun. Last year. Well, that was because he knew that he would, at that point, he knew that it would live. I thought, I hoped that he would make it to this year. So last year, I chose not to try to kill him with any weapon. And I could have killed him with a muzzleloader 60 yards last year. Um, but chose at that point in the season, because there was only like, you know, 12 days left of the season or whatever, to see if he could make it to this year. So, but that that is like another pressure. So there was like the internal pressures. And then like, there's a lot of people that have been following along with this story and like want to see what happens. And so I have felt some of that external pressure, but I'm trying to say that doesn't matter. Just hunt your hunt and enjoy it and learn from it and share what happens along the way. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So when was the last, you know, but you would probably have caught wind if someone got him, right? Cause you know, the guys in your area, I think I would know there's a, there's a couple people that I don't know. So if one of them killed, I wouldn't have found out. And what but, was the last day you knew that he was still in the living? I, I had him at 80 yards twice the night before firearm season. Okay. So. And how old is it? He's, he's five and a half, I believe. Which so he's me, getting in the autumn of his life, man. Yeah. There's, there's not many bucks that old around my neck of the woods. There, I, and I've hunted this property six or seven years, and this is the first buck that I know that's made it. The first, first five-and-a-half-year-old year, five deer that's there. There's just three-year-olds would be, usually be the oldest deer in the area. So, um. He's an anomaly. So it's been really cool to have that opportunity to see a deer so many times. I mean, last year I saw him 27 times. This year it's been 11 so far. Um, and you got how long wild. now? Because rifle's going to end, and you got how long to bow hunt him? Uh, well, muzzleloader season now opens the day after firearm season. And you're getting on that? Yeah. And then uh, and that's done the 17th, and then after that's bow. Dude, I'm going to take that letter Yanni was reading and send that letter to <laughs> everyone surrounding that property. <laughs> And just lock that place up with just me permissions. Uh, and I'll, well, get that, I'll get that buck. <laughs> Better. <laughs> hopefully someone. <laughs> oh, I know. Cool. I, I, I'm like, you know. I, somebody. I want it to, I, I want it to be you because oh, it means so much to you. You know, it, it, maybe that's silly that it matters so much to me. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to learn no, something because, from this. Because that's, that's you're at. And the thing that you're interested in, you're in the, you're in the, in it the deepest way possible. Yeah. To just be that you like would go out. Most people walk around the woods; they don't know what's going on. If you go out and sort of identify this specific animal and know his entire history, and then like focus on him and try to get him, rather than just sort of the blind random luck that happens. But I've also pointed out that it's going to be sad too. Oh, with how well yeah. you know him, it was like shooting your brother. No doubt about. It. We were talking at lunch today. Then eating your brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were talking at lunch today about how um about Hubris. Um, 
about being overconfident or like you know putting the deer on the wall before you shoot him and stuff and as you guys were talking about i was thinking in my head how i've envisioned what it would be like to shoot him like i've thought about that moment like walking up on him um and i felt moments of like that already like i can't i don't remember when this but i I actively remember thinking about shooting him and walking up and like holding his head and like feeling an immense amount of like sadness about that moment you've had a mind movie about it yeah yeah, and so I know I know I will feel that way. I've 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 hunted other deer in multiple years and had like many encounters. I've had a, a shallower version of this in the past, mm-hmm. and even those times, you know, you feel any deer I kill, there's a sense of of I don't know if uh, remorse, sadness, immense respect, a whole slew of different types of emotions. And I know that that will happen again with if I'm fortunate enough to kill this deer. I'm sure I will feel that, but maybe in a in a different way than before too. When we touched on this before, I remember Yanni saying he's got the feeling that way about a deer just in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> just watching watch a deer bed watching, it down. Watching a buck all day, watch, waiting for him to stand up. Yeah. Uh, or you start being like, oh, you little bugger. But 27 <laughs> times. That, I mean, that's I mean, every different scenario, right? So that oh, adds a little I've more never, depth to the character. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. never, ever, ever had anything like this happen before to this degree. I mean, the year before was probably four or five times. Last year, 27, 11 this time. I mean, that's pretty astronomical. So last question for you. If, if you get them or if someone else gets them, do you, have you already picked out what buck is next, what buck you're going to start like obsessing over next? Is there a contender? There's a contender. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got one yeah. that you might decide to obsess over? Yeah. Uh, well, just because like this, it's a small property. It's a, a single small property in a heavily hunted area. So there's almost only ever one like shooter buck any given year, like a mature buck. And in that area, like three years old sometimes is like the oldest buck they'll be. But there's a three year old this year that's like a nice three year old um, who I would love to see make it to next year. I'm really, really hoping he makes it. He's like just a nice wide eight pointer. Um, and as we whitetail guys do, I named him. <laughs> So, wide eight no wide uh, this, load. Is, this is uh a self-fulfilling prophecy is what my hope will be i'm naming him survivor so that have, he's the buck i really want to survive this year so that buck are you gonna change his name when you start wanting to kill right him? next year he's gonna switch it up to dead <laughs> yeah. so for now you're just like helping him along yeah in his so survival I've, I've seen him a lot this year too and he's a cool deer and and most likely all these deer won't even be around when i get back to hunting in a couple days but you got to hope. Because they'll have been picked up by other hunters. Probably. You never know. I mean, I, I do what I can to try to um, have an environment where they might be able to make it through, you know, like we talked about last year or last podcast. Um, so hopefully there'll be a few bucks to make it through, but something. You never know. And some do. They always some do. do. Yeah, they do. I just want to say I, just, I really understand about, like, getting on the phone at 11 a.m. And I was so lucky this, I was in Wisconsin hunting gun deer this year and sitting in tree stands and I forgot my phone opening day. It was like the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I was kind of stressed. Like we like drove for maybe five minutes and then had to walk back into the property and I'm like in the car, I'm like, gosh, I run back and get it, you know, pictures. But I knew really in the back of my head, no, like midday, you're going to be like emailing and freaking. Oh, you're doing work, man. Yeah. Flipping Instagram, you know? And, uh, but that first day I was the worst tree stand sitter I've been. And again, I just haven't been doing it a lot in the last 20 years, but man, you just forget. And I had a pretty open setup. Like they had cut all around this, uh, tree stand as, uh, someone else had put it up there years ago. 
but I think what used to have pretty good cover, I mean, I was now just like playing to the, to the world. So I had to be an extra good sitter, you know? And by like, got light at seven and by like eight, I'm just like, you're being way too fidgety on it. You're being way too fidgety, you know? And the first like six deer I see, I'm just seeing flags because they're seeing me a long time before, you know? Really? But yeah, I feel like that's just, why like you got like a chest like a breast pocket if you're like dying of guilt about stuff you're supposed to be doing but you're sitting out in the woods instead and you're trying to like even if you're trying to maintain the appearance that you are at work right mm-hmm. you haven't shared with this is just like a tip I'm giving to people like my work structure isn't that I need to act like I'm not hunting but um <laughs> if I was in one if you get like a breast pocket uh and you just ease her out like a like a poker player close to the chest. I'm doing it right now. Ease her out. Do what you got to do. Ease her back in. You're not spooking deer. No, no, no. I'm not saying that necessarily the phone was, um, but you are taking yourself out of the game oh, yeah. by, so by being on the phone. One you should know about coming, and you should be like getting yeah. against the tree and positioning yourself for when he's coming. You don't know he's coming, and he's just, yeah. yeah. But yeah. just speaking to the, 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 like, the idea of being a good tree stand hunter and a good you know, eastern whitetail hunter, it just requires you to freaking sit still, move your head slowly. You know, don't jerk your whole body around when you're looking over your shoulder behind the tree. You know? and just, it's, I just remember like on Sunday morning when I got into the tree and like midday, I was like, all right. I've done a really good job the last four hours, you know? I've just been, like, sitting here, like, not moving, not dicking around, not going in for more Snickers and more mm-hmm. snacks and another cup of coffee. Your kids' Halloween candies. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All the Halloween candy you confiscated. Yeah. Maintaining that focus, though, is it's tough yeah. when you're doing day after day after day yeah. all day and you're sitting and in you the same forget, place. And, yeah, people think it's easy. Oh, you're sitting in a tree all day? No. no. It, I know it's compared, now compared to, uh, you know, Rocky Mountain elk hunting or whatever it's not the same kind of physical wear and tear it's like a different kind of heart. But it is a yeah, different kind different. of thing Dude, we got a friend jeff lander who guides this is bow only area up outside of edmonton alberta mm, yep the bow zone and by the time rut comes there they're dealing in like negative zero weather to hunt in november up there yeah. and to hear his stories about what it takes to tree stand hunt in november in alberta is like it's like some harrowing tales of endurance and just like the clothes and just to try to manage everything because you got to have you got to be at some point be able to whip out bare fingers and shoot the damn deer yeah and like to be able to be warm enough to pull all that off in a way that makes sense that's no joke man i believe in the the focus factor is so much larger than anybody has put you can't put enough words on paper on it it's like you have got in the tree stand which i admittedly have done at this point let's just call it zero compared to everybody else in the room and then but the mule deer rifle elk whatever man it the second you let your head go out of okay do or die this is it. This is my opportunity. And the second you wander away from that mentally, you make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, you just do. Absolutely, man. Mental focus. Yeah. 
I want to touch on one thing I keep wanting to come back to. In, in big-time whitetail guy world thinking, it is okay to snake her out and just whiz off the edge of the tree stand. <laughs> yeah, snake her out. You That's know? the general practice. That is the general practice. I've read studies. There's been studies done to test the uh, reaction of deer to human urine, uh, a placebo, deer urine, et cetera, et cetera, a handful of different things, and there's no noticeable impact. So Buckman juice is just it may not be particular to Doug. I think he's just seeing a, <laughs> a universal effect. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it happen three times. I, I've got a joke with my buddies that I, when I'm not seeing deer, I'll be you like, "Well, you were throwing Buckman." Yeah, I juice. thought I had buck juice, so I'll be like, "Well, it's time to try to bring him in." <laughs> <laughs> so I've had big buck encounters three times while doing that. Yeah, because that's what I do. But I always feel a little bit like I'm like I bet you that the big time whitetail guys are like truckers. With a bottle. Yeah, with a bottle that they no. then throw off a highway overpass. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some out there, but but most I hear and what I do. What do you think about the sound, though? Because I got a story about that. It brings in bucks. Don't tell me. <laughs> no. uh, on, on opening day, some does I can't see. I think they're does. But they're, what do you call it when they just, like, they blow at you? you just call I, just call, yeah. I say blow. They're blowing yeah. at you. Can't see them. I'll, a couple the hundred. I'll do the noise for people who don't know the noise we're talking about. Yeah. Whoosh. It's pretty good, huh? That's the worst noise in the world. Yeah. Do it once. Whew. And do the elk. Okay, I'll do the elk version. <laughs> Yanni can do a good elk version. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. There it is. That was it. That was you, it. Here's an antelope. Here's what an antelope does. Psh. Psh. So it's. Whoosh. Psh. And. There it is. That's a good one. That's really good. Yeah. I've, I've heard it a lot. I heard it a lot. God, there's nothing that makes so your yeah, heart So yeah, it could be sink. coincidental because they blew at me once and 30 minutes goes by. So I'm thinking they just went the other direction. Well, along the same ridge that they're on, 30 minutes later, you need to take a leak. So I just moved a little bit and make a bunch of movement. And as soon as I start my pee starts hitting the leaves down below and I'm like, God, that's awfully loud, you know? I'm like, damn it, you know? And it's on the same ridge. So I don't know. Coincidence? It might have been the same well, deer and they were aware of me already and so they were just like, ah, you down there again. Or, but here's the thing. I don't really do it that way. I aim it back so it arches out and kind of hits the tree. Broadcast. Which is quiet. So I was going to say my recommended trajectory is to hit a tree trunk close to you. That makes it much quieter. Yeah, you don't make like a little leaf pile down yeah. there and go on it. <laughs> but Well, like I said, I was in the middle of a clear cut, okay? So I, <laughs> no, your own tree. I, I know. I should have just, oh. yeah. I had, uh, it was one of these all-day sits I was doing. you throw a long distance because you're, when you're 14 feet up, you can lander. Not Jeff Lander, but Lander. <laughs> you can lander way out yonder. Or to whatever. And yeah, I don't like to go on the leaves because this is real loud. If you're in close, you got to be conscious of everything. I've had some very painful, prolonged peas in close on on mule deer archery. What do you mean? Where you're like, every sound matters. Oh. You've basically stripped down to nakedness because you think everything's making too much. And then you got to go. Yeah. 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 But it can be part of your calling game for elk, too. You've heard elk pee in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's what I go back to, though, is 
you know, when a, a deer pees in the oh, woods. Oh, the story about the noise, yeah. Yeah, like th- there's some kind of leaf liquid noise there. So all day sit and I'm, it's like lunchtime, so I've reached in for an apple. I take a bite out of an apple and just as I do that, I see something off to my left. I'm in some thick bedding cover and there's a buck like 20 yards away. It would have been like a kind of wettish day. Had already been there. He had been walking through and just kind of op- come into an opening. And I'm like mid-bite of my apple. Jeez, like, oh, there's a deer right there. So I'm thinking he saw me, but he didn't. So I watch him. He just is kind of fiddling around. It was like a bunch of down maple tree leaves I remember seeing there. And, and so he was there for like 10 minutes, 11 minutes, 12 minutes. And I'm watching him, and he's just fiddling around. And he won't leave. And now he's at like 12 yards, 11 yards. And this whole time, I'm, I have to pee. Like, I got to pee. I got to pee. I got to pee. And this finally i'm like the stupid buck won't get out of here i gotta pee and i'm like you know what let's see what happens so i just took a pee off the tree while watching a buck 12 yards away see what happened and and i went in the leaves i couldn't reach a tree couldn't reach a tree trunk so i was peeing off the stand into leaves with about 12 yards away and he he looked up looked in the area of that sound for like five seconds as it was going and then he just kept hearing it and he's like munching on the leaves or whatever and then just head back down eating his stuff and didn't, care. One, didn't care one bit i wouldn't recommend that ever <laughs> i would never i would never recommend doing <laughs> that the study they've been doing where they have been playing disembodied human voices to animals out in the woods hmm. to get their response they don't like it i believe that they don't like it so they have cameras set up so they know when they're there and they can play a disembodied human voice. And uh-uh. What's sense. the message, though? Well, they've been using the most <laughs> abrasive voices they can find, so they use pundits from the extreme left and extreme right <laughs> as part of the study. Well, nobody's going like, to like that. I think they were nobody's using like, like Rachel that. Maddow and Bill O'Reilly or something like that. To, like the voices that, yeah, like these sort of like voices that tend to make some segment of the population extremely angry. It's a prolonged <laughs> debate over three months. Yeah, they're not controlling for enough variables here. <laughs> I remember that being a part of it, and they were they were, they were uh, the part I read. They were looking at lions, how mountain lions would respond to human voice, and they're not big fans. Um, all right, Mark Canyon, thank you for very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been fun. Callahan again. Again, thank you. No, that was <laughs> awesome, Mark. Thanks. And you can find these guys. You can find Callahan at Old Cal four hundred six. right that is correct o-l-c-a-l 406 never thought it'd go on this long (laughs) that's your instagram handle yeah okl 406 and mark kenny wired to hunt you run under wired to hunt across it all yep instagram facebook etc etc all right thanks guys This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access 
to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.